passengers. And welcome to the Midnight Train, where we bring the dark to light, and of course, where listener discretion is always advised. We make fun of and joke about creepy stuff while bringing you as much information on each topic as possible. Yes, we are a comedy podcast, and you know, we can talk about some pretty dark stuff. So if you're not into that and you're like, oh, you can't make fun of that stuff, you know, we don't make fun of like, you know, victims and things like that. Never. Right. We don't do that. You know, we're not going to do that, but you know, just give us a chance. All right. For the rest of you. Hey, you're pretty awesome. Thanks for being here. Welcome back. I am your host, the conductor of the cryptic Jonathan Sayer. And with me, of course, back in his co-host chair, (laughs) the one and only Logan. Yeah. I'll do that every single time though. You should. Oh, every time. That's your. That's your. My sign on. That's your sign on. Yeah. Yeah. I do it at work too. People <laughs> walk by and be like, "Hey, how's your day going?" I'm like, "Good." Yeah. Yeah. They're just like, "Okay." Yeah, it's so good. Yeah, I gotta put a little hand clap. In. Yeah. So our Patreon bonus this week is going to be a new episode of the bonus segment called "Fuck That Guy," except uh, this time it's not a guy. Oh, is it a? That don't it'd be a female. Oh, yes. it'd be, a female. It'd be the, the opposite of oh, a guy. Yeah. Okay. So, yeah, so it's actually, I guess, going to be Fuck That Gal this week. Fuck right? That Gal. All right. And if you want to listen to those, because they are super fun and super f- fucked up, um, sign up for our you know Patreon, support the show. And uh, actually, if you haven't listened to our other show, uh, Icons and Outlaws, I'll talk about something later on that we're actually doing with the uh, at least partial proceeds yeah. from... Um, you know, our Patreon and merchandise and stuff like that, which I think we talked about a little bit last week. We did a little bit. So, yeah, we'll do all that. All right. Oh, sheezy. Enough of the business stuff. Yeah, fuck the business Right? Stuff. Let's just get into this, all right? Let's turn down the lights. <laughs> adjust our seats. Grab a drink. <laughs> was, was that a drink? <laughs> that was a drink. Was yeah. that a drink? <laughs> all right, and let's get creepy. But, of course, here's here's a toast to all you hardworking bitches out there. Spooky. That's what I sleep to at night. I'm in the upside down. Oh, are you? Yeah. About to play Master of Puppets. You've never even seen that. You don't even. You... I've seen that clip. You've seen memes. <laughs> is all you've seen. You've seen that. I clip. love Stranger Things, man. And this season was cool. Yeah. The 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 the, the bad guy was kind of a little meh, but meh. he looks like Swamp Thing. Ah. You don't know who that is. I don't know who that is. Oh, okay. That's a big green dude. That's That's a swamp. I love Swamp Thing. So anyway, yeah. Guess what we're talking about today? Swamp Thing. Not the Swamp I God, that'd be amazing. <laughs> Can we just do that? <laughs> no, we're actually going to be talking about the top police stings and like undercover operations from across the whole gamut of the world. This big, beautiful ball of shit that we're on. Interesting. I mean, it's dinosaur shit. Did you know that? Everything we walk on is dinosaur shit? Yeah, you didn't know that? No. That's what this world's actually made of. It's just a big dinosaur turd? It's just... Well, no, so they started off... It was really small, and mm-hmm. then, like, one dinosaur came down, mm-hmm. and then they poop a lot. Yeah, yeah, So he pooped a lot, and then he had another one, mm-hmm. and then they just procreated and kept making more and more and more. So and in the words of Jeff Goldblum, it's a big pile of shit. It's a big pile of shit. That's <laughs> us, yes. And listen, you guys know damn well that that's what this is. <laughs> so anyway, a let's see. According to, you know, what the the actual term of a sting operation is, it's a deceitful operation used by law enforcement to apprehend criminals in the act of trying to commit a crime. Hmm. 
In order to obtain proof of a suspect's misconduct, a typical sting involves an undercover law enforcement officer, investigator, or cooperative member of the public acting as a criminal partner or prospective victim and cooperating with the suspect's activities. Interesting. So when does the song start? What song? Well, I don't know. Roseanne or any of those. Oh, Roseanne? Yeah, isn't that stinging the police? Oh, my God, I was going to make a great Roseanne. joke about that. <laughs> it's Roxanne. Oh, is it Roxanne? My God. <laughs> Isn't Roseanne the show? Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, my bad. Motherfucker. <laughs> it was almost good. It's Roxanne. It's the police instinct. And see, I know. And it's so funny because, like, you you told me when going into this, mm-hmm. you were like, yeah, when you go start looking at research and stuff, you're going to find nothing but stuff about Sting Dude, and the police. All it was. So what I was going to do, and I thought about this, but then I was like, eh, I shouldn't, or whatever. I was going to say, like, let's do the, you know, this, and start it off like we just did, mm-hmm. and then just start talking about, like, Sting and the police's top songs. <laughs> that would have been actually pretty funny. Maybe for icons, we'll we do that. We should totally do that for icons. Yeah. We should do that for top icons. Top 10 Stings. Starting off with Roxanne. <laughs> Roxanne! <laughs> Or Roseanne. It's even better. <laughs> I have Rosie O'Donnell singing. Oh, my God. <laughs> <laughs> so journalists for the mass media occasionally use sting operations to film and disseminate footage of illegal conduct. Of Ooh. course, you know, they send somebody in like you're going to see how those chicken nuggets are actually made. You know, and it's like, yeah, they're, it's chicken. No, that's, it's undercover boss, isn't it? Yeah, it's the same thing, right? I mean, the, technically, those are sting operations, right? I don't understand how nobody understands that that's their boss. <laughs> you, like, ever see the, you ever see the one with Kylo Ren? Yes. Oh, my God. That, that is, is so, so freaking funny. That one is amazing. He's like, yeah, we, we knew it all along. You're Kylo Ren. Yeah. <laughs> he just shoots the guy across the room. Yeah. So awesome. Sting procedures are prevalent in many nations, including the United States, but are prohibited in others like Sweden and France. Hmm. Certain sting operations are prohibited, such as uh, those carried out in the Philippines, where it is against the law for police enforcement to act as drug traffickers in order to catch purchasers of illegal substances, which hmm. is pretty cool. Yeah. Because my personal thing is, and I understand that the police sometimes have to mm, lie a little bit, break the law. But they can full-fledged lie to you, mm-hmm. straight up lie to you, and it's 100% legal. Mm-hmm. So if you're sitting down on in an interrogation, and you walk in, and let's just say you had nothing to do with a crime, and right. you're like, we have all your DNA, all your friends have already spilled it on you, man. We've got it all. We know that you were here on this day, and you might as well just admit it right now. They can do that. Mm-hmm. That's fucked up. A little bit. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, they should not be allowed to do that. I mean, I get it. That but or then, but that's how crime. You get, but that's how you get false confessions, though. Yeah, true. Because someone's true. like, wait a minute. Maybe I did do it. You know what I mean? Especially if you're not, you know, you know, yeah. too. Uh, There's a whole like uh, docu series on like how to convince someone that they were an actual criminal, even though they never even once did it. It's like seven steps to committing a crime, even though you weren't committing the crime. Well, it's like that. Uh, what's that guy from uh, Dassey? Uh, Brendan Brendan Dassey from How to Catch a Murderer. Yeah, he was. You know, he's a little little not a hundred percent. Like he's got some deficiencies. We'll put yeah. it that way. And I think they interrogated him for. What, eight or 18 hours or 28, some sh- crazy shit. Yeah. And then finally he was like, oh, maybe I did do it. You know, like, uh, <laughs> anyway. Yeah. So some examples of these are, are offering free sports or airline tickets to lure fu- fugitives out of hiding, which has happened. And there was a huge sting operation. And I, damn it, I wish we would have had this in here. Um, so basically they put on a, and I forget where it was. Was it Kansas City? It might have been Kansas City. They put on this big thing that, um, you can win tickets to a football game. Oh, yeah. And so they started calling all these criminals who were wanted and basically saying, hey, you just won tickets to, like, I don't know if it's a Super Bowl or playoffs or whatever. And these motherfuckers all showed up. 
And they ended up popping like, I don't know, like 80 dudes or something like that. It's That's the so funny. Dumbest. If you are on the run from something, mm-hmm. don't do anything. Yeah. You know what I mean? If someone calls and says, hey, you know, I got a free iPhone 12 down here for you if you come. Nope. <laughs> I just find it funny that they had all their numbers, too. Can't you just use, like, geo trackers and find out where they are so you can... It's in the them? 80s. Oh. Yeah. Oh, okay. I'm pretty sure it was 80s. 80s, early 90s, something like that. That's even worse. Yeah. <laughs> So uh, also deploying a bait car, also called a honey trap, to catch a car thief and fuck car thieves. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Setting up seemingly vulnerable honeypot computer, all right, a computer to lure and gain information about hackers. Yeah. A little bait and switch. Mm-hmm. Okay. Mm-hmm. Arranging for someone under the legal drinking age to ask an adult to buy an alcohol uh, alcoholic beverage or tobacco products for them. Which that, like, so stupid. And it, so they do that now mm-hmm. where like um, the Ohio, because we're in Ohio, if you're new here, hi. Um, they they will actually send in underage people to pretend to be of age just so they can come in and pop you. Yeah. That's such bullshit. Mm-hmm. Ugh. Passing off weapons or explosives, whether fake or real, to a would-be terrorist. Um, posing as, let's see, someone who is seeking illegal drugs, contraband, or uh, child pornography uh, to catch a supplier. Uh, you know, kind of like uh, the catch a predator thing. Yeah, catfishing. Yeah, which is totally, that is sting operation yeah. shit. And But, I mean, to me, fuck those people. Yeah. And they should, whatever, whatever it takes to get those guys, girls, whatever, off the street. Except, I don't know if I've ever seen a girl on that show, a female on that show at all. I don't mm. think I've ever seen yeah. It's always some weird dude like, no, I was just coming by to just give her some snacks, man. <laughs> I brought a pizza. <laughs> like, you, we know what you were saying to her. No, that wasn't me. <laughs> yeah, it was. <laughs> Chris Hansen pops out. It's like, fuck. Yeah, you're done, dude. Um, also posing as a child in a chat room to identify a potential online child predator, like we were just talking about. Mm. Um, posing as a potential customer of illegal prostitution or as a prostitute to catch a would-be customer. And lots of police officers do this. Uh, posing as a hitman to catch a uh, customers and solicitors of murder for hire, or as a customer to catch a hitman. Just listen, I told you the other day. Yep. Just listen to that podcast, and that's how they busted the dude. They pretended to be a hitman, and then they had the people who were supposed to have the hit on them posing Damn. and sending the pictures over. I mean, it looked real. That's it looked like the dude was like shot in the head, and the one chick was like bound and get. It was crazy. That's scary. Um, posing as a spectator of an illegal dog fighting ring. That's odd, oddly mm. specific. Uh, and uh, posing as a documentary film crew to lure a pirate to the country where a crime was committed. Arr. Yeah, it's like, it's like, hey, I'm making this documentary. Are you a pirate? <laughs> My name's Jack Sparrow. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, can you come over here for a second? We heard you took some doubloons. <laughs> so whether sting operations constitute entrapment raises ethical questions. Law enforcement might have to be careful not to incite someone who wouldn't have otherwise committed a crime to do so. In other words, you cannot force someone or coerce them to do something that they would not typically do. Yeah, you can't right? hold a gun to their head and tell them to do something stupid. Right. Additionally, while conducting such operations, the uh, police frequently commit the same crimes, like uh, purchasing or selling narcotics, enticing prostitutes, etc. Mm. Yeah, because, you know, it's all under police work, so they can do that. Yeah, they can right? break the law. Yeah. That's why they're allowed to speed to catch someone who's speeding. They do it all the time around here. It yeah. drives me nuts. Dude, I saw somebody when Not I was... Not even my- speeding, though. No, but I've seen some fucking risque maneuvers that they do just to try and cut in front of somebody to get someone who was speeding. Like, they'll like coming down the opposite side of the highway, see someone flying, and they'll cut over freaking four lanes of traffic, come onto the other side, 
just to cut off two more lanes of traffic to catch up to the guy that they're trying to catch. All while possibly causing a car accident behind them. Yeah. They yeah. Well, you know. And they don't get busted for anything. I saw a dude, uh, a police officer, and like he blew through, I don't know how many stoplights, stop signs, going around people and everything else just because he found out there was a sale on donuts. <laughs> what? <laughs> of course that's not true. Anyway, <laughs> for our police officers out there, listen, we're just teasing, completely teasing. So um, the defendant may raise the entrapment defense in common law jurisdictions. Obviously, if it's entrapment, it's entrapment, mm. you know, but it's a very, 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 that line is super skewed. So contrary to common belief, however, laws against entrapment do not forbid undercover police personnel from pretending to be criminals or deny that they are police officers. Entrapment is normally only a defense when sus suspects are coerced into confessing to a crime they probably would not have otherwise committed. Again, like we mentioned earlier. However, the legal meaning of this coercion differs widely from jurisdiction to jurisdiction. Entrapment might be used as a defense, for instance, if an undercover agent uh, you know, is you know, forced a possible suspect to manufacture illicit narcotics in order to sell them. Which is weird. Entrapment has often not taken place if a suspect is already producing narcotics and authorities pretend as purchasers to apprehend them. That makes sense. Right. All right. But, it, you know, if I came over, if I was an undercover cop and I came over, I was like, hey, man, I need you to make me some crack. And you're like, I, I, I don't I've don't, never made crack. Here's like, where are you? Do it. <laughs> no, here's how you do it. I need to do it. Ha ha, you're busted. You know what I mean? Like, what the fuck? Jesse, we have to cook. Right. <laughs> Come on, Jesse. So let's talk about some operations here. Ooh. All right. First of all, Operation Entebbe. Ooh, I know this one. In Entebbe. Yeah. Is it Entebbe or? In it's Entebbe. 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 We got <clears throat> Like, Imdebe. Imdebe. <laughs> <laughs> so it's Entebbe. The Israel Defense Force, or IDF, or their forces, excuse me, the commandos successfully carried out Operation Entebbe or Operation Thunderbolt. Oh, I love that. <laughs> Fucking Operation Thunderbolt. All they're doing is just making sure one has USB-Cs now instead of lightning ports. <laughs> <laughs> Operation Thunderbolt. Yeah, you got the wrong cable, dude. You got the wrong cable. <laughs> You're going to jail. <laughs> <laughs> it's a counter-terrorism uh, counter, uh, hostage rescue mission, all right, at Entebbe Air, uh, Airport in Uganda on July 4th, 1976. And, yeah, first of all, that's less than a month before my birthday, which my birthday is next week. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and second of all, we just talked about Uganda. Oh, did we? So how great for us to kind of go circle back, back and go back to Uganda. We right? love you, Uganda. Yes, Uganda, you guys are great. So a week earlier on June 27th, two members of the Popular Front for the Liberation of Palestine External Operations, the PFLPEO, I don't know why they have to make these damn, right. who had previously split from the PFLP of George Habash, and two members of the German revolutionary cells hijacked an Air France Airbus A300 jet airliner carrying 248 passengers. It's a lot of people. It's a big plane. Yeah, it's a lot of people. The declared goal of the hijackers was to trade the hostages for the release of 13 detainees in four other countries and the release of 40 Palestinian terrorists and related prisoners who were detained in Israel. So it seems like a, a lot. Mm -hmm. You're taking an awful lot of people to get a few back. Mm-hmm. Okay, well, I'm, I'm So the flight, which had uh, left Tel Aviv for Paris, was rerouted after a stopover in Athens through Benghazi to Entebbe, the country of Uganda's principal airport. The ruler, IDMN, <laughs> we talked about that guy, didn't we? Yeah. yeah. Who had been made aware of the hijacking from the start, encouraged the hijackers and personally greeted them. Hey, guys, how's it going? Good to see you. We, we, we got over there. Hey, just leave my name out of this. I had nothing to do with it. <laughs> Wait, is it. How many people? Why? Oh. 
No, okay. I'll see you guys later. Right. <laughs> right? I don't know. It sounds like that's what happened. So anyway, he uh, he kind of knew. So the hijackers confined all Israelis and a few non-Israeli Jews into a separate room after transferring all captives from the plane to a deserted airport facility. 148 captives who were not Israelis were freed and taken to Paris over the course of the next two days. 94 passengers, mostly Israelis, and the 12-person uh, Air France crew were held captive and threatened with execution. Crazy. That's scary as shit. Oh, yeah. Like, I'm just flying the plane, man. I know. You know? I'm to do with nothing, man. Yeah, I'm just flying the plane. And if I wanted to kill us all, I could have just flown into a mountain or something. Yeah. You know? Yeah. It, which has happened, by the way. To kill people because they're... There's been pilots that have just said, fuck it. And it just seriously just downed the plane because they were, you know, they they were suicidal and they just, oh. yeah. We should talk about that one of these days. I think that's going to be our it's, next episode. It's pretty fucked up. Seriously. want to know that. All right. We'll put that in your notes because, yeah, yeah, we should totally do that. Yeah. It's it's fucked up. Seriously. That's... There's a lot of uh, really cool, not cool. There's a lot of like hijackings and stuff like yeah. that that took place. But yeah, there's a lot of that shit too. I didn't know. Remember, these are just them. people, man. It's like doctors. If a doctor's having a bad, how many doctors have you heard of? I was just listening to another podcast. Shocker. Yeah. <laughs> about. This guy who was, uh, he thought he was an angel of mercy. Ah. And we, I actually, for fuck that guy, I believe I covered one of those dudes that, uh, doctors that just kill people just happen to kill him, you know, mm. because whatever. Now there's a lot of them that think they're doing, you know, they're, they're in bad health and they're not going to live. And I'm, I feel like I'm doing, you know, the Lord's work or whatever. Right. But there's some of them that are just dick bags. Just saying. So think about that. Like you have this, this plane held almost 300 people in it. Yeah. If you wanted to. Make a statement. It's a, you uh, could do that. I love a statement. Thank you for putting that in my mind now. Yep. So I'm going to be... Uh, Have fun flying, folks. Ha! Make sure to talk to the pilot every time now. Hey, yeah. how's your day going? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> you haven't, are you exactly. okay? We you need to talk? Yeah, when you get on the plane, just walk up. Hey, can I say hi to the captain? Is just, it cool? Just, just, you can leave the door open. I just yeah. want to talk to him. Like, hi, sir. How's like, it going? Hey, it's just me and my family on board. Yeah. Just, you know, come out here and hang out for a little bit. I'll fly the plane. You, yeah. you relax. You just look at him day. and be like, hey, man, you want a drink? Ah! <laughs> Almost got you. <laughs> That's a sting operation. Yeah, you can't do that. <laughs> but seriously, say hi to your, your, your pilots and stuff. Be yeah. cool to them. Say hi to the captain. Yeah. <laughs> I am your captain now. <laughs> so based on information from the Israeli intelligence service, Mossad, the IDF, took action. If the demands for the release of the prisoners were not granted, the hijackers threatened to murder the hostages. Not a good thing. Mm -mm. The preparation of the rescue effort was prompted by this threat. These strategies included getting ready for armed opposition from the Uganda army. Which is pretty good, badass army. Yeah, remember we talked about yeah, that. Only 40,000 people, man. But their army is the, they send it out. They do more missions than anyone else other than the United States. Yeah. Yeah. Outside the country. It's yeah. crazy. They're awesome. So it was a nighttime operation, okay, for the rescue mission, Israeli transport planes flew 100 commandos to Uganda over a distance of 4,000 kilometers for you smart folks, and for the rest of us, 2,500 miles. The operation took 90 minutes to complete after a week of planning. Out of the 106 captives still held, 102 were freed, and three were murdered. Ugh, oh, that, that sucks. sucks. In a hospital, the second captive was later slain. That's fucked up. Lieutenant, this is really cool, by the way. Lieutenant Colonel Yo, uh, Yonatan uh, Netanyahu, okay, and if that last name sounds familiar, I'll tell you why. The unit leader was one of the five injured Israeli commandos. Netanyahu was Benjamin Netanyahu's elder uh, sibling and future Israeli prime minister. Oh. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, by the way, so Yonatan, yeah. that's Jonathan. Yeah, we, in, is that Israeli? Yeah, Israeli. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. It's kind of like uh, the, what is it, the, 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 the whole nine yards. You got that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. What is it? Yimmy. Yimmy Gogolak. 
Same thing, right? Is it? Is, I don't know. You never, is, you never seen? The, I've seen it, but what is Yimmy? That's it's Jimmy, but they don't. Oh, they don't say the J. They, oh. It's a yeah. It's a it's a yeah. Oh, so it's Yimmy. 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 <laughs> My name Yimmy Gongola. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, it's just kind of messed up that you know, this guy was actually like the future Israeli prime minister's brother. You know? Yeah, it's crazy. So eleven Soviet-built MiG seventeens and MiG twenty ones of the Ugandan Air Force were destroyed, and all five hijackers and forty-five Ugandan troops unfortunately were killed. Wow. IDMN mm-hmm. gave the command to attack and to kill Kenyans living in Uganda after the operation because Kenyan sources supported Israel. 245 Kenyans in Uganda were killed as a consequence and 3,000 left the nation. In honor of Yonatan Netanyahu, the commander of the force, Operation Entebbe, which had the military codename Operation Thunderbolt, like we just mentioned, mm-hmm. is occasionally referred to uh, retroactively as Operation Jonathan. Oh. Yeah, you like that? Huh. So it's kind of messed up. It is pretty messed up. So basically, you know, they, 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 the, the whole operation... They knew these hostages were there. They sent the army in there, but they pretended to be, you know, something else. Yeah. And unfortunately, the fire and every brimstone and people died. So, yeah, it sucks. Yeah. So now let's talk about something. Uh, Operation Valkyrie. Oh, that's a good movie. Which I, I've never seen it. You've never seen Valkyrie? It's uh, Tom Cruise, right? Yeah. I have never seen it. And it's for actually- those of you... It's good. Oh, yeah, I yeah. thought it was good. It was actually one of the uh, one of his better roles. I kind of felt like he played it very well. And dude, the animation, the CGI, fucking amazing. Yeah, the audio. Dude, there's a bunch of P fifty one Mustangs that fly overhead when they're in the Sahara Desert, and it sends me chills. There were cars flying above your head. P fifty one. What is that? The plane. You said Mustangs. Yeah. Right. That's the name of it. Why are you can't fly a car? They're Pegasus. It's a oh. Mustang body. <laughs> <laughs> it's got wings. It's a Mustang with wings. Yeah. So, uh, so this is Operation Valkyrie, and uh, to be honest, I really wasn't. I didn't know about this. No, I had no idea that this was actually taking that had taken place. A little fucked up. So, senior Nazi military officers and Adolf Hitler, that one and only son of a bitch, convene in the Wolf's Lair in Rostenburg, Eastern Prussia, on July twentieth, nineteen forty-four. And sometimes this is often called Operation July twentieth too. Mm-hmm. I've seen that. Hitler's body was discovered scattered across the table as the Nazi military chief sat down to plan troop deployments on the Eastern Front when an explosion burst through the steamy meeting room. With the Führer's death, the Nazi threat to Europe could have been lifted. Or so they thought. Klaus von Stauffenberg and his accomplices believed they had turned the course of World War II and maybe saved thousands of extra lives for a brief period of time in history. The July plot, that's what it is, July plot, also known as Operation Valkyrie, was the most famous attempt to have Hitler killed, although it was ultimately unsuccessful for a variety of reasons, some of which are still unknown to this day. Which, right? So we're going to talk about this a little bit. Yeah, which is what the uh, the movie Valkyrie was entirely about. Really? Like the, the secret plot to try and assassinate Hitler and the failure yeah, which of is, it. Yeah, which is what this is. Yeah. It, it is a, it's a plot to kill Hitler. And it was a good idea. They, they almost got there. Almost. Almost. Yeah. So many Germans, including some of the country's top military figures, had begun to lose faith in Germany's ability to win the war by the summer of 1944. So these are even people on his side mm-hmm. are just like, uh, excuse me, <laughs> uh, Führer, um, it's not looking too good. You know, I just, I'm just saying, like, perhaps we should get back. <laughs> okay, sorry. <laughs> oh. Hitler was widely held responsible for ruining Germany. Of course he was. Mm. The Wolfschanz 
was one of Hitler's military headquarters. A number of prominent politicians and senior military figures devised a plan to murder the Fuhrer by detonating a bomb at a conference there in order to spark political unification and a coup. Okay? Mm-hmm. So let's get rid of this guy. Let's get Germany back to where it's supposed to be. You know? It's a good idea. So let's figure this out. Yeah. And you know, and you always hear that too, like when anyone talks about like uh like time travel. Mm-hmm. Like what would you do? Well, I'd go back and I'd kill Hitler. Okay. I mean, Deadpool couldn't do it, so I mean, like, you know. But it's that whole, like, we don't know anything about it. I love the, I absolutely love the logic that movies try to implement on us. Yeah. Because we don't know. We really don't. Anything The about butterfly it. effect. Yeah, we it, have yeah. no clue what's going to happen. We, like, you look at uh, Back to the Future. You go back and you see yourself and, oh, everything changes. Oh, oh, Marty, Marty. You know what I mean? That whole thing happens. Doc. <laughs> right? That's good. That's good. And, you know, that whole, but then you watch other ones and, like, you can kind of go through and, like, you ever seen Time Cop with Jean-Claude Van Damme? Of course. Have you? Yeah. Oh, hold on. I love Jean-Claude. Yeah? Yeah. That's So, like, with that one, he had to go back in time to stop the guy who basically killed him himself. You know, it's just whatever. Yeah. Anyway, sorry. That was a little tangent there. <laughs> Excuse me. So, anyway, they wanted to do this and blow him up. Mm-hmm. So Operation Valkyrie was the name of the strategy, okay? The plan was that after Hitler's death, the military would assert that the murder was the result of a Nazi party coup attempt, attempt, and the reserve army would take significant buildings in Berlin and detain senior Nazi figures, okay? Mm-hmm. Karl Friedrich Gödeler? Gödeler. Gödeler. Gouda? Gödeler. I don't know why it sounds French all of a sudden. Uh, would become Germany's new chancellor, and Ludwig uh, Beck would become its first president. Yeah. So I don't know if you guys knew this also too, but like uh, he was uh, what's his name? Uh, yeah. Oh my God. Why am I blanking? Hitler. Is Hitler? Yeah. He was chancellor. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah. then all of a sudden he was like, "I'm going to take everything." I'm yeah. dictator. Yay! Yeah. I like tasting dicks. I'm better than you. <laughs> So the new administration wanted to negotiate a peaceful conclusion to the war, ideally with benefits for Germany. Of course, if we're going to do this, it better help out Germany. Of course. The main conspirators' motives varied, according to Philipp Freyer von Buselager, one of the last remaining participants in the July plot. Many of them only saw it as a means of avoiding military defeat, while others hoped to at least partially restore some of the nation's morals. A lot of these, again... And I'm not saying that any of them are right. Oh, Any yeah. of the Nazis doing what they did. But, you know, when you're basically like, you do what we tell you to do or you're going to die. Right. You kind of just go along for the ride. But in, in, the, in the same sense, you're also sitting there thinking, fuck this guy. Yeah. You know what I mean? But you can't say anything about it because what are you going to do? You yeah. know? Because it's your family up on the chopping block next. So, and again, I'm not defending them in any way. I'm no, just saying. But I mean, that's that's seen the. It's got to be tough. That's seen across a lot of stuff too, like the like the genocide stuff down in like Africa had the same issue. And there's a, like a lot of that has been seen through history. So I mean, it's understandable that they don't want to be part of it, but unfortunately, they kind of had to be in order to survive. Right. So yeah, I mean, again, that's they were forced to do it. So mm-hmm. they chose Klaus von Stauffenberg. Such a good name. A young colonel in the German army to carry out the assassination. Despite not being a member of the Nazi party in the traditional sense, Stauffenberg was a devoted German patriot. Okay, he cared about his country. Yeah. In the end, he came to think that if Germany was to be saved, it was his patriotic duty to expel Adolf Hitler. Like this guy. Yeah. I like it. I like the, I like the Saudi jib there, buddy. <laughs> Hitler, though, had experienced assassination attempts before, of course. Assassination, uh, yeah, assassination attempts against Hitler had been more frequent uh, since his spectacular ascent to the top of Germany's political scene in the late 30s. Yeah. 
Hitler, who was becoming more and more paranoid, frequently altered his plans without warning and at the last minute. Interesting. Right. The entire time, though, I had to go with him. You were telling him what to do, right? I was trying to tell everybody. Yeah. Like, Jesus. Like, get off. I'd whisper at people, and they just thought it was him. I'd be like, psst, he's going somewhere else. And they're like, excuse me, Fira? No, not him. No. <laughs> <laughs> so what went wrong? And by the way, that was, for you new listeners, that was uh, uh, Hitler's mustache. Yes. And we haven't talked to him in a while. It's we haven't. Nice to actually talk to him again. Yeah. Good to have him come back on the yeah, show, you know? Yeah, yeah. Thank you. Thank it's been you, a while. Thank you, mustache. Yeah. Ah! Okay. <laughs> so now what went wrong with this whole scheme? So Stauffenberg entered the bunker at Wolfschanz on uh, July 20th, 1944. The conference was planned to take place in a concrete windowless subterranean bunker that was closed off by a large steel door. Okay. Mm-hmm. By making sure it happened within one of these facilities, the detonation would be confined and anyone nearby the explosive device would die quickly from the shrapnel. Right? Yes. Right. We don't want to kill a bunch of people. We just no. want to kill one person. Yeah. If you want to call him that. Mm. He's a dick. Was a dick. Horrible person. Anyway. The conference was moved to an above-ground wooden bunker with better air circulation on July 20th uh, due to the oppressively hot weather. According to Pierre Galante's Operation Valkyrie, the German general's plot. Okay. Uh, Wait. The German general's plot against Hitler. That's the name of the whole freaking book? Yeah. Boy. (laughs) Numerous windows, a wooden table, and other beautiful furniture were all present in the area, which uh, meant that the potential explosion would be much... uh, much more diminished since the energy of the blast would be absorbed and diffused because you got wood, you got windows. It's not in just some enclosed place. Yeah. You know? So it's just instead of going and then killing everything in it, it's like a can. Like if you take a, 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 fi- a firework or whatever, drop mm-hmm. it in a can, mm-hmm. you know? But instead, you're taking a firework and putting it somewhere else. Anyway. <laughs> you had me going. I, I was going for a second and I totally lost my turn of thought. Anyway. So Stauffenberg was aware that this was the case, but he nonetheless proceeded, assuming that the two uh, explosives would be sufficient to destroy the room and kill everyone within. All right? Yeah. He's still with it. Mm-mm. All right? Stauffenberg's the man. Yeah. All right? Yeah. Stauffenberg excused himself when he arrived, saying that he needed to uh, change his clothing and went to a private room. Mm. Oh, excuse me. I'm so sweaty. Oh, You think I can just show myself yeah. like this with a fury? I'm spritzing. Can I? Can I? Oh, the weather. It's, oh. Do you mind if I use your bathroom? <laughs> Is that okay? Uh, I, I guess so. <laughs> the two explosives needed to be armed and primed. However, he only had time to arm one of the two uh, due to an unexpected phone call and a quick knock at the, his door. Ooh. Thus, the possibility of a greater blast was cut in half. So Damn. now... You've only got one bomb. Yep. You had two bombs. Mm-hmm. Now you got one bomb. Only one? Only one. What happened to the second one? I just told you. <laughs> he couldn't arm it. All right? So Stauffenberg realized that in order to cause any kind of harm, the explosive device needed to be placed as close to Hitler as possible. Mm. He was able to get a seat as as near to Hitler as possible with only one other person between them, or between the two of them, by claiming that his hearing was impaired due to his wounds. <laughs> Excuse me. Um... What the fuck are you saying? I can't. No, I can't hear you. Can I? Can I come closer? Do you mind? <laughs> Do you mind, Fiora? Is it okay if I just? I changed my clothes. I don't stink anymore. It's fine. We sit on your lap. Yeah. <laughs> is, is it okay if I just? No, I got. I have a a, a a thing. I have an ear infection. <laughs> yes. Twat? Did you say? I can't hear you. <laughs> no. 
Okay. Anyway, it'd be amazing if that's how the conversation went. So anyway, he told him, you know, he had to get close to him or whatever. So he, or whatever. So he did. So placing the bag as near to Hitler as possible, as close as he could, Stauffenberg then left the room pretending to take a personal call. Oh, excuse me. I, what, do you have a cell phone on him? Like, what the fuck? Okay. Anyway, so the briefcase was accidentally shifted to the opposite side of a large wooden leg that was supporting the meeting room table as another official was taking a seat. So another guy was like, no, he's gone. I'm going to sit next to the Fuhrer. Everyone wants to get next to him. Hi, Hitler. How are you? <laughs> oh, let me move this bag for you. Fuck that guy. He's on a call. So the briefcase was accidentally shifted to the opposite of, of the room. Okay. So now the aftermath. Panic broke out after the, the device exploded at precisely 1242 p.m. It went the fuck off. Mm. 20 individuals were hurt, including three cops who subsequently died from their injuries, and a stenographer was instantaneously murdered. Oh, my God. Of all people. Yeah, the stenographer. The person taking notes. Yep. (laughs) Fuck. (laughs) You know, like, (laughs) sucks. Stauffenberg and his assistant, Werner von Haften, leapt into a staff car and bluffed their way past three different military checkpoints to flee the mayhem of the Wolfschanz complex because they believed that Hitler was indeed dead. Ha ha! We've done it! Let's go! Get in your car. It won't start shit. <laughs> Hold on. <laughs> shit. Excuse me. Can you guys come give us a jump, please? Can you? Oh, can I use your car? Is that okay? Oh, thanks. <laughs> anyway, sorry. I'm on a fucking roll of it. <laughs> so Hitler, however, along with everyone else who was protected by the large wooden table leg, a fucking table leg, mm. was in this bomb. Well, this was back in the day when tables were made. You know what I mean? Like, that was probably cherry wood. You know, yeah, too but, good for him, but it was super good wood. What the fuck was in the bomb, though? Was it a firecracker? Like, probably just a stick of dynamite. Eh. Yeah. So an ol- um, only suffered a few mi- uh, these people only suffered a few minor cuts and an eardrum perforation. Oh, mm, an ear infunction. An ear infunction, exactly. <laughs> Twat. Anyway, he had fully torn up pants, and the Nazi leadership would subsequently utilize pictures of them in propaganda efforts. Of course they did. Like, see him? You try to kill him, you can't do it. He does not have butthole, and he does not have to use bathroom anymore. Right. He is a god. I am great. Look at my pants. Do you have pants like this? No. This is a new fashion line, by <laughs> just so you know. Did a bomb try to kill you? Did you survive? No. Okay, then. <laughs> Ian Kershaw, a historian, claims that during the explosion, contradictory news concerning Hitler's fate came. In spite of the disarray, the reserve army started detaining senior Nazi officers in Berlin. Mm. The entire scheme, however, was eventually thwarted by delays in unclear communication and the announcement that Hitler was still alive. Oh, no. Can you imagine how much that would suck? <laughs> Like, this isn't like, this isn't like, this is like a huge deal. Oh, yeah. Like, you get Hitler out of there and, like, pretty much the entire fucking world can go back to normal. Yeah. Or or at least start going back to normal. We don't know who's going to be in power next after him. It could be another whatever. But I'm just saying, like, this is like a really big thing. And because you didn't get the chance to to detonate that or activate that second bomb, you're you're hearing it like, you're like, yeah, high five at each other. Woo! Let's go get some schnitzel. Yeah. You know what I mean? And then all of a sudden, Hitler is still alive. Fuck, man. <laughs> like, what do you do? You know? God, it sucks. Yeah. So the conspirators were all given the death penalty in a hastily called court martial at the same evening by General Frederick Fromm. In the courtyard of the Bender Block, a makeshift firing squad murdered Stauffenberg, von Haften, Ulbrich, and another officer, Albert Mertz von. Uh, oh, boy, that last name. Hmm. Albert Mertz von Kornheim. I got it, I think. Yeah. While Ludwig Begg committed himself. All right. All right. So he committed, like he killed himself? Yeah. Oh, boy. 
at Berlin's uh, Plotzen, uh, Plotzensee Jail, um, Berthold, oh these words, Jesus, Berthold Stauffenberg was gently strangled while he, the incident was being recorded for Hitler to see. Holy shit. Oh, I knew you had something to do with it. So he's just, yes, taking the life out of it. So they, they, they. Right in front of Hitler. Uh, well, they recorded it for yeah. him. Yeah. So they say hello to the camera. Yeah. <laughs> Guess who's looking? Yeah. Remember the guy you tried to kill? Fuck you, buddy. <laughs> God, it's so, that's crazy. Yeah, it is. I, yeah. I did not know any of that. That's so yeah, nuts. It gets dark. Yeah. So Hitler's life was ultimately saved that day by a number of un- interrelated reasons, By the uh, but the, uh, the conspirators were right that Germany was headed for disaster, obviously. Less than a year later, the Nazi leader and his closest advisors all committed suicide, or did they? Mm. There's, you ever hear that the whole thing? There yeah, he, technically, he lived in like Chile or something, yeah, or Argentina. He, yeah, he, he moved. Yes, he's yeah. in South America now. I'm going to take my mustache and go someplace else. Yes. Yeah, fucking bastard. He's dead. Even well, if he, he has to be now. I was about to say, even if he was still alive, he's dead. Yeah. So yeah, that that one's nuts. Y'all, and the poor guy that like literally gave his life to try and get his country back. You know what I mean? And then just to be gently strangled. Literally, it says gently strangled while it was recorded for Hitler to watch. Oh, it just makes me hate that son of a bitch so much more. Oh, what a turd. Anyway, yeah. Are you familiar with? The Iceman. Oh, of course, man. Richard Kuklinski? Exactly. He hated Tom Cruise. If Did he really? Kind of. What the fuck are you talking about? Top Gun. No, not that Iceman. Oh. No. Oh, my God. Which is good. That was actually really good. good. <laughs> that was good. Yeah. That was actually pretty good. Thanks. Thanks. Iceman where he goes. Who <laughs> was Val Kilmer? Yeah. And that was Val Kilmer, Iceman. Yeah. No, this is Richard Kuklinski, um, the badass serial killer. Oh, badass serial killer? Yeah, and by badass, I mean like he worked for the mob. Oh. And so a little backstory on uh, Kuklinski here, okay. and we'll talk um, you know, a lot about Operation Iceman because it's the next one coming up. Ooh. Um, so Kuklinski was a hitman. Mm. He actually killed somebody. I think he was 14 when he first killed somebody because the dude was, like, picking on him. Oh. So he just took the guy and just beat him to death with a fucking stick or some shit like that. Damn. Yeah. And then he got involved, you know, in the mob and, like, working with, a, you know, whatever. Mm-hmm. And so his thing was is that he would he'd kill these guys and he would take them and he would put them in a freezer. Oh. And then he would wait six months, a year, two years, and it would take them and dump them someplace, let their bodies thaw. And the police had no idea when they died. Oh. I mean, it's kind of, I mean, it's kind of smart. I'm just saying. I'm not, I'm again, not advocating anything he ever did. Oh. You can actually watch a really cool uh, documentary called, uh, I, I think it's the Iceman Chronicles, I think. That's what it's called, um, but it's it's terrifying. It's him in prison talking about everything he did. Oh, and it's it, it, he is cold. Iceman is perfect for him because he's cold, dude. He's just yeah. sitting there chewing a piece of gum, talking. He's like, "Yeah, I fucking killed the guy." He's used rats to kill people. Oh shit! Yeah, like he was a bad dude. Oh, okay. So you ever wonder what it's like uh, working undercover with an alleged murderer? Hmm. Every day of the day. I, I can't say that I have. No? But let's just say it's uh, not hard to get a stuffy nose around this case. Ha-ha! In fact, serial killer Richard Kuklinski's preferred method of murder involved using a nasal spray bottle to spritz cyanide into the faces of his victims. As a result, undercover agent Dominic Polifrone, or Polifroni, Polifrone? Polifrone? I like Polifroni. Polifrone. Yeah, that sounds good. Yeah. Dominic Polifrone. That sounds tough. Yeah. Well, Well, he obviously was always on guard during his 18 months he spent building a case against the Iceman. Mm. Quote, no matter where I went with him, okay, so he was undercover. 
Mm-hmm. They sent him in to actually build a rapport with uh, with the Iceman, this notorious murderer. And this dude has to be... And, and again, this guy would kill people for the just the fuck of it. Mm-hmm. If he didn't like you, didn't like the cut of your jib, he would seriously just get rid of you. He, brutal, brutal, brutal guy. So... Uh, quote, no matter where I went with him, I wore this leather jacket with a pocket sewn inside containing a small caliber weapon. This is uh, Paul Lafroni saying this. Who gained his target's confidence and taped dozens of their conversations. And you can actually hear those conversations in that the whole thing. Quote, I knew that I was somewhere on his hit list. If he'd pulled out that nasal spray, I'd have to protect myself. Okay, because everyone was on this dude's hit list. Seriously, like he it, it, it was just that guy. Like they would, the higher ups would call him in to get rid of people. That's period crazy. Some yeah. of them were some of his best friends he even talked about. Can you imagine just sitting there talking to a guy and all of a sudden you're just like, what, what time of year is it? Is it, is it fall? There's fucking allergies. And just pulls out the spade. Yeah. And now you're dead. Yeah, but I don't even think you need to have it like go in your nose. It's just in your face. Yeah, that's fucking Because it's cyanide, right? That's, that's scary. So you just little spritz and all of a sudden, timber. Boom. Yeah. It's, it's like good. it's like uh, back in the day. It was like in the eighteen hundreds. <clears throat> I, I want to say it was in East Asia. They would take uh, uh, pufferfish, the, the the toxins from the pufferfish, mm-hmm. and they would grind it down into a powder. And they would they called it the Walking Dead syndrome. So what it was was they would uh, if they didn't they wanted to basically kill you. They just walk over and sneeze right next to you, and they would have that powder in their hands, and they would like blow it in your face. And it would actually like drop your heart rate down to the point to where no one could actually detect that you were alive, and you would be buried alive, basically. Because within seventy-two hours, it kind of like brought your heart rate back up, kind of thing. So they would literally bury you, and you'd be trapped six feet under, still alive. How many people do you think it, like died working on that? Like, and who started that? Like one day, some dudes like pufferfish. Let me see something real quick. Bob, taste this. <laughs> Fuck. <laughs> um. All right. A couple days later. Cheryl, taste this. Shit. Oh, wait a minute. <laughs> I think we might have something here. I might be able to use this. You know what I mean? Like, how do, how do you how do you even yeah. figure that that it's anyway? Yeah. So the streetwise cop here, um, the, the officer, uh, acquired enough proof before Kuklinski had um, any suspicions. Luckily, that's good. Preventing that situation from actually happening. Finally, the enormous six foot four gangland killer was apprehended thanks to his evidence. And yeah, he was an enormous dude. Enormous. Scarier. But what was super crazy mm-hmm. is like, and again, if you guys get a chance to watch the documentary, he was like the best husband, the best father. Like he was just a, like really good at that. But he was just a ruthless, merciless fucking killer. Damn. It's nuts, dude. If you get a chance, seriously, everyone needs to sit down and just watch that. I want to say it's called the Iceman Chronicles or, or the Iceman, whatever. And I think it's on HBO Max, if you guys have HBO Max out there. You have to watch that. I'm pretty sure it's on there. So, quote, I've met hundreds of bad guys, but Kuklinski was a totally different type of individual. He tells the Post, quote, he was cold-hearted, ice cold like the devil. He had no remorse about anything, and he didn't. Zero fucking remorse. So Kuklinski was captured by Polifroni in a combined operation between the Bureau of Alcohol, Tobacco, and Firearms, or the ATF, and the Office of the New Jersey Attorney General. The criminal who was leading a, a leading suspect in the murder of a mobster whose body was found two years after his disappearance, remember what I said about the ice, Yep. was, or, or the, yeah, the freezers, was posing as a respectable businessman residing in suburban Dumont, New Jersey. And he did. He had this, like, facade where he's like, I'm just, I'm a normal guy. Hmm. But in reality, he's just a horrible man. We need to do a fuck that guy on him. Yeah. Because, God. But, and again, I hate when people sit there and, like, revere these murderers and stuff like that. But this dude's whole persona 
like to this day, I'm scared of this dude and I've never met him. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like for real. Like, I, I don't know if he's dead or alive. I'm not sure if he's dead or alive. He's probably dead by now. I should have had that in the notes. I'm sorry. <laughs> so the reason the medical examiners discovered ice in the muscle tissue was because Kuklinski, again, who earned his notoriety for frequently freezing the bodies of his victims and then defrosting him, he screwed up this time. Oh, didn't yeah. he? Yeah. Police made an indirect connection between the deceased man and Kuklinski, who was charged with a number of previous homicides. Quote, we had to get something nobody knew, recalls um, you know, our, our officer here, Paul Froni. The sting only appears briefly on screen in the film in order to gain Kuklinski's trust. Paul Afroni, a resident of Hackensack, uh, New Jersey, pretended to be a bad person for a whole year and a half. Yeah, they made a movie about it as well. That's crazy that he was undercover for that long, though. Yeah, for, yeah, 18 months. That's crazy. It, it, the, it, and it happens all the time. There's guys yeah. that have infiltrated uh, biker gangs and stuff like that. And we're going to talk about quite a few different yeah. ones as we go through this. It's the, 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 the sack you have to have on you. You know what I mean? You've got balls big enough to come home and dump trucks. Mm -hmm. To be like, you know what? I'm going to change my name. I'm going to put on a completely different personality. I'm going to be whatever I need to be to get in here to bust this guy. And in the entire time, you could die at any second. Yeah. Because you you scuffed his shoes. Like, the guy was that freaking just, like, uh, like hostile. Like, just just a bad dude, you know? I, I couldn't do it. I, I, I couldn't. Personally, I couldn't do it. That's crazy. So they met in parks and rest areas along highways and discussed the horrific killings Kuklinski had carried out, including a mafia hit in Detroit for which he was paid $65,000. And this was back in the late 70s, early 80s, I want to say. Yes, yeah, I think. There. Yeah, so it was a good amount of money. Additionally, there were um, statement killings, okay, to put a dead canary in the mouth of a victim as a warning to other victims. One mafia leader paid him extra to do. So after he's dead, put this canary in his mouth. Hmm. Really weird. Anyway, another um, uh, occasion, or on another occasion here, Kuklinski made light of the fact that he saw a gang member consume an entire cheeseburger laced with cyanide before passing away while joking with Paul Afroni. And you, you can hear him say this. Oh. He's like, yeah, I put, uh, you know, he's, he walked away or whatever, and I put some cyanide on his cheeseburger, and I just sat there and watched him eat it. And it hit, his demeanor is literally like, he's like, I just watched him eat it. <laughs> it's fucking, fucking crazy, crazy, dude. <laughs> it's fucking crazy. So recalls Paul Afroni here, quote, he told me that uh, cyanide normally works real quick and easy, but that uh, this uh, this guy has the constitution of a goddamn ox and is just eating and eating. So he's eating this whole cheeseburger. Yep. Oh. Quote, he said he almost ate the whole burger and then bam, he's down. <laughs> Sorry, but like. That's fucked up, like right? He's sitting there eating the damn cheeseburger like, mm, this is really, wow, this is really not fucking, mm, but that's just so good. I just want to keep eating. Oh, God, I've got to keep eating it, man. <laughs> like, yeah. dude. Hey, what's on this burger? It tastes like, y'all got some more of that cyanide? That's really good. <laughs> it's fucked up. Sorry, guys. <laughs> that was, but that was, yeah. sorry, sorry. Gosh. So Paul Afroni knew exactly how to play his role. Quote, I laughed, of course, he shrugs. That's what bad guys do. So, of course, if you're sitting across from a guy that fucking just spiked somebody's cheeseburger with freaking cyanide, cyanide and is laughing about it, you better be laughing along with him. You know, yeah, otherwise you're gonna end up eating your fries, right. and you're gonna have a little. <laughs> what's in the bottle of vinegar? No, that's cyanide. Yeah. Oh shit! I would not be eating anything around this guy. <laughs> I wouldn't do anything around this guy. So, uh, and again, he was an actual a family man. Kuklinski was a family man. All right, so it was like a total Jekyll and Hyde thing. That's crazy. Quote: He never socialized, gambled, or messed around with other women. Um, this is Polifroni still saying this. Quote: He lived for his wife and kids. He loved his family. In fact, he said that's why I did what I did. I got to make the money that I did. I got the clout that I did. I was the person that I was 
to to make sure my family never had to go without. It's kind of like fucking watching The Sopranos, man. Yeah, like that's like yeah. the whole persona that what's his face had like the whole time. Didn't Tony he, Soprano. Yeah, didn't fuck around with anybody. Talks like anything. this entire time. Yeah, that guy. Yeah. <laughs> what are you talking about over there? <laughs> that wasn't bad. I, that was yeah, pretty that good. Was yeah. pretty, I love James Gandolfini though. Yeah, loved him. Loved Dude, him. Loved him. I have to go back through and rewatch. I only ever seen parts of Sopranos. I've never watched it. No. Nope. You should watch that. I know. I here I am. Like I love James Gandolfini, but yeah. I've never watched it. Yeah. Yeah. I never, never Dude, I've seen it. I've seen a few few episodes where he's like his daughter was getting like a like kind of like sexually abused kind of thing or whatever. Oh, you're, you're dead. And he took care of some business, and I was just like, respect. I mean, in a case like that, yeah, I'd probably go to prison. Oh yeah, you know what I mean, or do it where they never find me <laughs> or find out who did it. Anyway, true. I'm just saying, you don't mess with my kids. You do have a you, big ice freezer you, you, thing. You don't mess. Yeah, I know. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, Ice Man. <laughs> Just kidding. It's full of. So, what's in this bottle over here? This is actual lime juice. It's sure. lime juice. Yeah. Okay, okay. I promise it's lime juice. Okay. And you're my kid. I would never do that to you. <laughs> so, uh, and again, one minute he'd be uh, repairing his daughter's toys, the next, dismembering a body with a chainsaw and stiff, uh, stuffing it into an oil drum. Yep, not even a joke. Quote, he would come home and completely shut off his murderous component and seek security and love from his family, says That's... the Iceman director, Roman, uh, from the, the movie Iceman. He fulfilled the need to provide uh, for them by killing. Again, that's what he did. Right. This is what he knew how to do. Again, I, I want to say he was 14. He may have been even younger than that or whatever, but when he first killed that first guy, that thing in him was like, well, this is what I'm good at. Right. This is what I know how to do. And so now that's what I'm going to do. But he... He wasn't just doing... He got some pleasure out of some of that oh, shit, for dude. sure. I mean, like, like, sitting there laughing as a dude's chomping out on a cheeseburger, yeah. and he's like... Eh. It's... I'm serious, man. Like, he will... Iceman is the perfect name because he will run ice down your spine as you're watching it. I'm telling yeah, you, you just got to give yourself... It, yeah. I think it's about an hour, maybe, hour and a half. It's not bad. Give yourself some time and watch it. So, Polifroni finally nailed Kuklinski after uh, tricking him into buying what he thought was pure cyanide. A team of feds and ATF officers arrested him in December of uh, 1986. Wow. Yeah, pretty awesome. 28 years later, he reflects on the man who died, apparently of natural causes, in Trenton Prison in 2006 at age 70. Okay, so he did die in, yeah. in 2006. Eyebrows were raised because he was due to appear as a witness at the trial of a Gambino family underboss. Mm. Quote, I hope he died a slow death because of what he did to families and individuals, concludes Paula Froney. Quote, he had no mercy, and if it was foul play... That's okay with me. Talking about his death. Yeah. Yeah. So that's, that's, I mean, think about 18 months. Yeah, undercover. Like, in, with like, a murderous motherfucker. But you have to kind of think, too, on that officer, like the, the PTSD that that guy's probably got, like constantly looking over his shoulder, probably reverts back to that kind of way every once in a while around his family and scaring them. You know what I mean? Like, it goes deeper than just he was doing his job. You know what I mean? Well, they actually, there's interviews and stuff you can find on him yeah. and uh, um, Paul, um, uh, Officer Palafroni. You can actually um, look those up and stuff. And he talks about the whole thing. Like, really? it, it was. He's like, it, it fucked me up. Watch a lot of documentaries yeah. and stuff like that. That shit's crazy. Yeah. So now let's talk about uh, some uh, controversial sting operations you may or may not have heard of. Huh. Okay. Let's talk about acorn. Oh, I okay. like acorns. Do you? Yeah. Why? It's fun to throw, you know? Oh. You just throw them? Yeah, just throw them. Is it, you're the guy just throwing just acorns around? Guy walking around throwing acorns and spilling salt. Just just pissing fucking squirrels off everywhere? Like, yeah, that's my guy. fucking dinner, dude. <laughs> <laughs> what the fuck, man? <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, the Association of Community Organizations for Reform Now, okay, mm. as known as ACORN. Ah. 
ACORN was a group of neighborhood-based organizations in the U.S. that supported low- and middle-income families. They also offered details on affordable housing and voter registration. James O'Keefe and Hannah Giles, two young conservative, conservative activists, published recordings that had been edited with care in 2009. The two pretended to be a pimp and a prostitute before using a hidden camera to get unflattering answers from acorn workers that seemed to give them advice on how to hide their prostitution business and avoid paying taxes. Ah, mm-hmm. Hmm. The plea for assistance in obtaining funding for a brothel didn't appear to deter the acorn employees either. <laughs> this sparked a national debate and led to a reduction in financing from uh, public and private sources. Obviously, right. You know. By the way, side note: I just found out today. I don't know why I didn't know this. Uh, prostitution, uh, prostitution is legal in uh, in the UK. Wait, really? Yeah, I did not know that. Did not know that either. I had no idea. I have friends over there. Well, it's a good thing that I didn't know that from my friends because that means they probably don't do that. <laughs> you okay over there? <laughs> I, think, I, kind of I, I can hear some backpedaling going yeah, on over there. Yeah, uh, yeah. What, what was that again? I'm sorry. Nothing. Nothing. Okay, moving on. <laughs> <laughs> So, of course, like people started saying, no, you guys are, you know, we're taking our money away from you. So Acorn declared on March 22nd, 2010, that it was disbanding and shutting all of its connected state chapters as a result of declining funding. And an interesting fact here on January 25th, 2010, James O'Keefe, you know, the guy who went in here acting as a, a pimp, and three other people were detained on felony charges for allegedly tampering with the phones at Democratic Senator Mary Landro's office in New Orleans. Hmm. O'Keefe stated that he was uh, looking into claims that Landro's staff had dismissed constituent phone calls over the health care issue. O'Keefe recorded the action as they pretended to be telephone repairmen. In the end, they were accused uh, with breaking into government building under false pretenses, a misdemeanor. Following his admission of guilt, O'Keefe received a three-year probationary period, 100 hours of community service, and only a $1,500 fine. So, I mean, it sounds to me like he's, like, he's one of those dudes that, like, wants to get to the truth. Yeah. You know what I mean? And so, I mean, listen, you've got to break a couple laws, and you got to pay 1500 bucks. Whatever. Yeah. Get to the truth. Get these bastards. Get them out of you. These bastards. Send them to the icebox. Right. Oof. Oh. Oh. How about that? No. I kind of like that line, though. Send them to the ice box. Send them to the ice box. Send them to the ice box. Because, you know, everyone's like, when we sleep with the fishes, you know, send them to the ice box. Sounds. It's kind of murderous. Sorry. In a cool way. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. It's I, like, I like that. Uh-huh. Sounds like a new shirt. Yes. Yeah. Send them to the ice box. Yeah. We'll just have a picture of Kuklinski on it. <laughs> yeah. Oh, boy. <laughs> I don't know if you guys will like that one no, or not. No, no, I don't know. No. You guys probably would like that. Yeah, probably. Yeah. The, the the passengers would probably be like, I'd wear that. Yeah. Fuck yeah, dude. I wear. Yeah. I'm I mean, wearing it right now. One of our biggest uh, um, selling t-shirts is the uh, Don't Be a DeSalvo. Yeah. Yeah. With DeSalvo's face on it. So uh, now let's talk about Operation West End. Oh. Is it a West End story? Uh, about a West End boy? The West Side story? Is that what you're talking about? Yeah, that. Okay. Yeah. No. No. So, the largest undercover news story in Indian journalism has been described like this. In order to expose the alleged culture of bribery inside the Indian Ministry of Defense, a well-known newspaper from India by the name of Tehelka, which translates as sensation in Hindi, started its first significant undercover... uh, Undercover? Why did I pronounce it like that? (laughs) Undercover operation. Operation West End in 2001. Two reporters from the publication pretended to be London-based ar- armaments dealers, so arms dealers, gotcha. from a fake firm. Hmm. In the over- undercover film, numerous politicians and defense officials are shown discussing and accepting bribes in exchange for assisting them in obtaining government contracts, including Mangaru Laxman, secretary of the ruling BJP party. 
Laxman and military minister George Fernandez uh, resigned following the release of the tapes, and a number of other defense ministry employees were placed on administrative leave. That's awesome. And a cool fact on this. Instead of initially acting on the evidence from the sting operation, the Indian government accused the newspaper of making the shit up. Really? The main financial backers of Tehelco were made targets of investigations, and the newspaper company was almost ruined. In 2003, Tehelco was relaunched as a weekly newspaper and was funded by faithful subscribers and other well-wishers. In 2007, Tehelco shifted to a regular magazine format. Huh. Yeah, so they're trying to freaking tear down the... Man, and then they the man came back and said, no, you guys are fucking up. <laughs> you know, and they're like, no, you guys are. So, yeah, that's kind of, I don't know if that's how the conversation, is that how the conversation went? I don't know. I wasn't there. I couldn't tell you. Hey, yeah, I'm just know. speculating. Yeah. I'm postulating. Postulating. So now let's talk about Senator Larry Craig. Hmm, sounds like a hell of a guy. Yeah. So on June 11th, 2011, an undercover police officer conducting a sting operation targeting males cruising for sex at the Minneapolis St. Paul International Airport detained Idaho Senator Larry Craig. Hmm. <laughs> Sergeant Dave Carsonia, the arresting officer, claimed that just after noon, the suspect entered a restroom and shut the door. Craig then moved into the stall next to him and propped a suitcase up against the stall, uh, the stall's uh, the door, the front of the door. By obscuring the front view, this is a uh, frequently done in an uh, effort to hide sexual activity. Hmm. In other words, hey. It was like a glory hole incident. Kind okay. of thing? I mean, I, I think it's more of a, you know what's about to happen. Oh. Yeah. Oh. Yeah. yeah. I, I think. I don't know. I've never, I don't know either. I've never, I'm, I, again, postulating. Ah, gotcha. So, <laughs> <laughs> several minutes later, the officer claimed to have noticed Craig looking into his stall through a gap, tapping his right foot repeatedly, then moving it till it brushed Carzania's, uh, the, the, the officer's here. Craig then passed his hand under the stall divider into Carsonia's stall with his palm up and guided it along the divider toward the front of the stall three times. This sounds like a horror movie. I'm sorry. <laughs> like, I'm trying to take a shit here, dude, and you're just fucking like a, a lion into the freaking cage just yeah. walking around like, oh, you're going to be my next meal. Bitch. That's when you're just like, <laughs> hey, man. Hey. <laughs> come, dude. I had to pinch it off, man. Hey, come on, Give man. me a second. I'm about to poop in your hand. <laughs> I swear to God. So Karsnia then waved his badge back, to which the senator responded, no. <laughs> the senator pleaded guilty to disorderly conduct and paid a fine, but changed his mind afterward uh, after word of his arrest later became public. Uh, Craig claimed, he, the senator here, had <laughs> claimed he had just had a, a, a wide stance, <laughs> and he only pleaded guilty to avoid a spectacle. An appeals court rejected his request to change his mind about entering a, plea, a guilty plea. Craig completed his uh, his time in the Senate, but was un unable to have his case dismissed by the Senate Ethics Committee. He then departed office on January third, two thousand nine, having not uh, to run for you know he didn't run for re-election in two thousand eight. A another little weird fact here: soon after Craig was arrested, the men's room started to resemble a tourist destination with people coming to seek directions and take photographs. They all had just wide stances wide right? stances yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah even restroom tissue may be purchased on ebay <laughs> what the fuck is wrong with people <laughs> hey hey come over to my house i got something to show you hey what you got you got like a little little figurine no nah, i got toilet paper wait what yeah it's toilet paper from you know yeah, yeah. the white stance guy you know senator craig yeah senator craig remember that yeah this is the toilet paper from that bathroom this is the water wait, he used is, to throw at him. is that is that the toilet paper he used no 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 but it's from the bathroom no, that's somewhere else. <laughs> but, but, but why do you have that? I mean, dude, it's fucking Senator Craig's fucking. It's, it's Senator Craig, like, was trying to hook up and yeah. he got busted. Yeah. Okay. 
<laughs> you know what I mean? That's hey, so fucking that's how, weird, dude. That's how I'd be. I'd just be like, uh, okay. Yeah, like, I, whatever. Like, All right. It's like having a leaf from freaking where Biden fell on his bike and oh. where it is. like, Which I, apparently is now a thing. Yeah, right? it's a tour assassination for people to go and fall off their bikes and make TikTok sensations. Anyways, people are weird, but keep going. People are weird. Dude, not so, our passengers, though. No. Our passengers are not weird. I'm kind of curious. Do any of you have toilet paper from the Senator Craig incident? <laughs> oh, my God. If you do, please take a picture and yes, send it. Yes, I would love it's to gotta see it. It's got to be legit. I want to know if anyone... Yeah, did. don't just get your cotton yeah. and take a picture of it. Yeah. I want to know what it actually yeah. is. I know what commercial-grade toilet paper is, all right? Right. Yeah. Right. So now Sarah Ferguson was victimized by Mazer Mahmoud, a reporter for the tabloid daily News of the World, in May of 2010. In order to set up a meeting with Ferguson... Mahmoud pretended to be a wealthy international businessman. Mm. The Duchess, yes, oh, the Duchess. Sarah, Fergie? Sarah, yeah. Yeah. The Fergie. Well, not the Black Eyed Peas Fergie. Like, uh, but still Fergie. The, the UK Fergie, yes. Fergalicious definition. Yes. Come on, yes. man. So the Duchess, who was discreetly recorded throughout the encounter, offered to connect the tycoon with Prince Andrew. Fuck that guy. Yeah, a little bit. His influential inner circle. Quote, 500,000 pounds when you can, to me, open doors. Sarah Ferguson is heard saying on the video. She may also be uh, seen removing a briefcase that is holding $40,000 in cash. Hmm. After the event was reported, Ferguson's spokesman, uh, spokesman, I don't know why I said it weird like that, claimed she was both devastated and regretful. She said that she had been drinking before asking for the money and was, quote, in the gutter at that point in an interview with Oprah Winfrey. Mazir Mahmoud, the guy who pretended to be the tycoon, is referred to as the fake sheik and has conned several famous people. No one is certain if that his true uh, if that is his true name or what his real history is, since he likes to make things uh, as mysterious as possible. The journalist denies ever allowing his face to appear in any of his pieces and claims to have received several death threats. He also avoids public appearances. That's pretty freaking amazing. Yeah, I'm just saying. That's, I mean, it's fucked up, but it's pretty amazing at the same time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Prince Andrew, you turd. God. So now let's talk about some bait cars. Mm. And these are not cars that are carrying like little minnows around. No, 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 not no. big bunch of meat. It's actually a really cool idea. Just a car with minnows in it. Well, it's just like bait, like fishing bait. Just drive around if anyone like go to like lakes and ponds and stuff. And if anyone needs like, it's a great idea. It's a I'm golf so- cart idea. We should get like little like sand like little little, little buggies and just go jumping around on the beach. Yeah, have and like stuff. night crawlers in the back of it Hell and stuff yeah. like that. Yeah, Dude, I'm telling you, that's yeah. a business right there. Fuck yeah, it is. I'm in. Hey. Five bucks a pound, baby. You get all the... But we got to catch that bait. And- that would be patreon.com forward slash accidental dad. So we don't have to do that. <laughs> <laughs> I don't want to catch bait, man. I don't like worms. <laughs> so now the bait cars. The Minneapolis Police Department employed the first bait cars in the 1990s. Hmm. The largest bait car fleet in North America is now situated in Surrey, British Columbia, which is widely regarded as the, as the continent's auto theft capital. Huh. I didn't know that. I didn't know you were sorry about British Columbia. Surrey. That's what I'm saying. Sorry. Su- no, not Suri. Oh my god, it does sound like Canadian. <laughs> I'm, like I'm sorry. Suri. I'm sorry. I'm sorry eh? Suri. <laughs> hey, hey, Siri. <laughs> so the cars are carefully modified, equipped with GPS tracking equipment, audio video surveillance, and an engine disabling remote control. Ah, kill switch. It has helped to lower car theft by 47% when it is introduced in Surrey, British Columbia in 2004. Okay. You keep saying you're sorry. I don't know why. Oh, my God. (laughs) In one of the more contentious bait vehicle stayings, a lady was murdered nearly instantaneously after a robber driving a bait car drove into her in Dallas, Texas in 2008. Oh, shit. Yeah. To resolve the litigation, $245,000 was given to the victim's family. That's it? Yeah. It's not really a lot of money for someone. No. Uh, I'd be wanting a lot more. You can't put it. De Niro to whatever. I mean, 
you can, but I that's mean, not it. That's that not that's not the not number. Yeah. Especially in what is it, two thousand yeah, two thousand eight? Yeah. Mm-hmm. That is not the number. That mm-hmm. so a little weird fact here. The key to determining whether police are utilizing a bait car improperly and would result in entrapment is if they left it in a way that would tempt someone who would not ordinarily commit a crime. So that's just basically yeah. what they do. Like if you're just walking on the street, right? You're downtown Cleveland, right? You're just walking on the street. You know, it can be a little interesting in the wee hours of the night. You're just walking by and you happen to see a car just sitting in the middle of the fucking street. Doors wide open, keys still in the ignition. <laughs> a stack of hundreds it's on the like floor. It's like hundreds of sitting yeah. there, you know, and, you're and like a, and a couple cases of beer in the back. Yeah, you're just like I'd be like, wait a minute. Let me just go ahead and close these doors. <laughs> Is I'm it pulling the key out of the ignition? Get on the ground, sir. No, no, no. <laughs> I was turning it off. <laughs> Is it my birthday? <laughs> like I do wishes really come true? I was just wishing for this 20 minutes <laughs> This ago. is amazing. <laughs> so now, do you have any idea who Marion Barry is? Now, I remember this very distinctly because I'm old. Marion Barry. Marion Barry. No. <laughs> Marvin, Marvin Barry. No, it's Marion Barry. I thought it was Marvin Gaye. No, Mar- Marvin Barry. Oh, my God. Is there a guy named Marvin Barry? That's- <sighs> Who's Marvin Barry? Oh, my God. Hold was- on, hold on, hold on. Who's Marvin Barry? From Back to the Future, when he was playing the guitar, and that's how Holy supposedly yeah. like Marvin Barry. Yeah, he's like it's your it's your cousin Marvin Marvin Barry. Yeah, yeah. okay, yeah, okay. I didn't put two and two together on that. You guys can send all hate mail to Logan at the Midnight Train Podcast yep, I'm here. Yeah, waiting for your responses. <laughs> it's fine. I'm here all day, folks. Yep, whiskey no. in hand. So Marion Barry, a well-known politician and former mayor of Washington D.C., okay, hmm. police were going uh, were going to conduct an undercover narcotics transaction with former Virgin Islands official Charles Lewis on December twenty second of nineteen eighty eight. Hey, that's a cool date, huh? December twenty second. What's that? Three days before Christmas. That's your birthday. Shut up. <laughs> but they were turned back when they discovered that Mayor Marion Barry was in Lewis's hotel room. Hmm. hmm. Seems, seems weird. A little bit. This prompted a grand jury inquiry into potential mayor meddling in the narcotics probe. Oh. So they were thinking, okay, wait, is the mayor stepping on our toes right now? Mm. Yeah. Mm. No. no. <laughs> Barry testified for three hours in front of the grand jury before telling reporters he had done nothing wrong. Hmm. Okay. He's like, I didn't do shit wrong. I was hanging out. We ain't find shit. <laughs> we ain't found shit. <laughs> So, of course, he's saying he didn't do anything wrong. Then on January 18th, 1990, telling reporters he had done nothing wrong here, all right, he was arrested in Washington, D.C. in a hotel after using crack cocaine in a room with his former girlfriend, who had turned informant for the FBI. That That's fucked up, though. I'm sorry. like (laughs) That bitch. (laughs) But, honey, I loved you for how long now? And all of a sudden, two days, you've been an FBI informant? Listen, I don't know who you can trust if you can't trust someone while doing crack i'm just saying like I yeah I, i'm pretty sure it does, isn't that supposed to bring everybody together crack yeah wait what yeah that's what i heard it brings everyone together yeah like you're supposed to be able to you're supposed to be able to trust everyone when you're doing crack with right oh yeah, yeah, yeah. you're being facetious right now i got you ah there yeah. it is yeah you pick up on that yeah a little okay, late good. on that yeah, yeah, okay. <laughs> <laughs> i was like what the fuck so this was the result of a sting operation put up by the fbi and dc police the dc police are a different breed so oh, yeah D.C. police are actual federal um, police um, agents. They are not like local police for the District of Columbia. No, they are actual federal police. Oh, I thought they just worked they, for the comic company. I'm sorry. Shut up. <laughs> They're a subdivision of the Secret Service, all right? 
I was trying to be there. <laughs> Tell your dad to shut up. That's fucked up. That's anyway. So of course joke. they win it. it. This is amazing. Barry said the now famous phrase, "Quote, bitch, set me up." <laughs> no, he did not. He's on the stand. Be like, do you know this woman? Uh, that bitch set me up. Bitch set me up. That's funny as shit. <laughs> Following his arrest and subsequent trial, Barry made the decision not to run for mayor again. Oh, I wonder why. <laughs> if he did, it would be the slogan, bitch set yeah. me up. <laughs> Stickers. I mean, so, I would support Mayor Marion Barry on his upcoming reelection. Bitch set me up. That'd be a bumper sticker, dude. I I'd would buy that shirt. I would totally have that as a bumper buy sticker on my car. Yeah, I'd buy the shirt. Not <laughs> saying he's in the right in any way. No, that's, but that's just funny. It's super fun. funny, yeah. <laughs> so again, he yeah, he didn't charge. He was charged with 14 charges by a grand jury, including suspected grand jury perjury. Ooh. The mayor could have spent 26 years in prison if he was found guilty on all 14 counts. Interesting. However, he was only given a six-month prison term after the jury found him guilty of using cocaine. Mm. All right. Mayor Barry here campaigned for municipal council after being let out of, princi- or out of prison. He garnered 70% of the vote due to his widespread popularity and the perception held by many that Marion Barry was the target of a political witch hunt by the government. Oh, God. <laughs> I, people are interesting. Like, they, there's video of him doing this. That, those are doctored. Oh, my God. I hate that. <laughs> oh, my God. Anyway. Like the moon landing. It's fake. Yes, it's all fake. You see the... Dude, I actually was reading an article... I was reading an article today about the whole, like, moon landing being fake thing or whatever. So We talked about it. There's a uh, a Rolling Stone... I don't know if it was Rolling Stones. I don't know. It was a really big, man, uh, really big weird um, magazine that had a bunch of pictures of, like, the, these astronauts, like, messing around in the dirt. And in the back corner, you can see the ceiling of the studio that they were in. And everyone's like, that's how you know it was fake. And then right below that, it was captured from here for the prepared, like like trying to get these astronauts prepared to like what they're doing while they're digging and stuff like yeah, that. Yeah, they were they were doing exercises right. before they go to the fucking moon. And then the newspaper article was just like, yeah, this this is this is fake. Yeah, it's so dumb. People, are so stupid. dumb. Anyway, so then in 1995, Barry won a fourth term as mayor of Washington D.C. Okay, so yes, that it, bitch it, set me up to win again. <laughs> bitch set me up. He, uh, so he's currently back in a position in the D.C. Council now. Okay, so regardless of your opinion on Marion Barry, you have to respect his perseverance and drive to help the people of Washington, D.C. Oh, yeah, of course. I can say something about him. Yeah, so it's only a very, very uh, small portion, I guess, of his life. So uh, maybe one of these days we'll break down and talk about the, the whole life of Marion Barry. What do you think? <laughs> yeah, that'd be kind of You can actually watch The Nine Lives of Marion Barry. Uh, it's a show on HBO. Yeah. But yeah, like you got, like you're, you're in awe. Again, here's what gets me. Come clean. Mm-hmm. Say, yeah, dude. Yeah. I fucked up. Right. Okay. Um, Clinton, uh, Bill. I did not have sexual relations with I that woman. I did not woman. have sexual relations with that woman. Kind of. <laughs> <laughs> like if he would, if he would have just come out and been like, listen, right. I screwed up. Right. Okay. I did. I'm sorry. And then if he just looked over and been like, do you see who I'm married to? Everyone would have been like, yeah, you should be president again. Yeah, absolutely. You are indefinite president. Yeah. I'm kidding, by the way. Yeah. Ladies out there getting all your tiffy. No, the, nobody's getting your tiffy going on right now. You guys are not upset about that. No, yeah, especially because it's the Clintons, and we're kind of scared that they're going to be knocking on our doors anytime <laughs> soon now. Anyways. Oh, what'd you say about my wife? <laughs> 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 so uh, now let's talk about, uh, J- uh, I think it's Joran Vandersloot. Vandersloot? Sloot. Oh, Sloot. Sloot. Ah. Dutch national Joran van der Sloot is a key suspect in the case of Natalie Holloway, who vanished on May 30th, 2005, while traveling to Aruba to celebrate her high school graduation. Hmm. Okay. 
On March 29, 2010, Vandersloot got in touch with Beth Twitty Holloway's mother's attorney. What a name. Um, John Q. Kelly is the, the, the attorney's name, reviving the case. Vandersloot promised to provide details about Holloway's demise and the whereabouts of her remains in exchange for a total of $250,000 with a $25,000 payment. Okay. So in other words, he's like, I know where she is. Give me some money. Yeah, you got to pay me for it. After up. Kelly and Twitty made contact with uh, Alabama law enforcement, the FBI launched a sting operation. Good. On May 10th, Vandersloot accepted a wire transfer of $15,000 to his Dutch bank account along with an additional cash payment of $10,000. He drove Kelly to the location of Holloway's remains in exchange for the cash. He indicated a home um, saying that his father had assisted in burying the body in the foundation. That's fucked up. Mm. The, the home had not yet been constructed when Holloway vanished. Therefore, this turned out to be untrue. He's full of shit. Oh. Yeah, he was completely full of shit. Which, by the way... Still fucked up. As we've talked about before, uh, in, what is it, in Uganda, we were talking mm-hmm. about with the sacrifices. They would actually take... Not saying that's what this is, but they no. would take it and put it at the, the foundation and put them in concrete and... <laughs> it was supposed to be prosperous for that house. Anyways, yeah. 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 So up. he was a fucking liar. He just wanted the money. Okay. So yep. later, Vandersloot informed Kelly through email that the entire incident was a fraud. At this point, police might have detained Vandersloot for wire fraud and extortion, but they chose to wait while they worked to establish a case of murder against him because they believed he knew what had happened to her and that he was responsible for it. Okay. 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 Vandersloot was not only let free, he was also given permission to depart, uh, to leave Aruba and travel to Bogota, Colombia, and then Lima, Peru, hmm. with the money he had made from the operation. So what would what, what we say? Uh, yeah, $25,000. Yeah. So he's allowed to just leave. Mm-hmm. Yeah. He, and he's probably feeling like, you can't touch me. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Can't, t- can't touch this. No? Sorry. Anyway, whatever. <laughs> Which is still Rick James before that, so. <laughs> He's a very sexy girl. Can you don't take him to mother? Sorry. Anyway. He met, uh, then he met Stephanie Flores Ramirez, a 21-year-old University of Lima business student in a casino hotel in the city. Okay. Ramirez and Vandersloot are seen entering a hotel room together on security footage, but only Vandersloot is seen exist, uh, exiting. So he's the only one that came out. Mm. On June 2nd, Ramirez was discovered dead in the hotel room that Vandersloot had booked. Her fuck? neck was broken, and she had been battered to death. Whoa. On May 30th, 2010, precisely five years after Natalie Holloway had vanished, remember, didn't know where her bodies and rema- or her remains were, right. Ramirez passed away. Okay? Pretty fucked up. Precisely five years after Natalie Holloway vanished. Mm. The other one was murdered. Kind of weird, right? A little Almost bit. like an anniversary killing, or you know what I mean? Yeah. It's super fucked up. So a person arrested Van uh, Vandersloot, uh, uh, sorry, he admitted to the murder on June 3rd and June 7th. All right? So he actually admitted that. So Vandersloot is presently detained at Peru's Miguel Castro jail, where murder charges have been brought. He apparently now claims that if he is permitted to move to a jail in Aruba, he would tell the whereabouts of Natalie Holloway's remains. Hmm, kind of like how he said he was going to do that before? Well, no, th- th- I think he would this time. Yeah, we're gonna we're gonna we'll follow up on that because I mean, th- to be honest, that may have been a while ago. And yeah, do me a favor, real fast, while I'm going through this next part, just mm-hmm. look up. Um, what's his name? Vanderslut, Joran, Joran Vandersloot, and find out like whereabouts now. I want to know where this piece of shit is. 
So now let's talk about some perverted justice stings. Mm, that sounds fun. Mm. Yeah. Perverted Justice is a group that uses volunteers to masquerade as juveniles online, often between the ages of 10 and 15, and wait for an adult to message or email the decoy back. If the topic becomes sexual, they won't actively reject it or support it. Then, in order to set up a meeting, they will attempt to identify the males by acquiring their phone numbers and other information. This is literally the the the, the, the catch a predator thing. Oh, yeah, 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 whatever it is. Yeah. The group then provides law enforcement with the information. Additionally, Perverted Justice has worked with the American reality show, Hey, to Catch a Predator. There it is. Hey. hey. In Murphy, Texas, one of the more contentious instances took place in 2006. Lewis Conrad, a district attorney in, uh, in Texas, pretended to be a 19-year-old college student and had sexually explicit internet conversations with a person he thought was a 13-year-old kid. Yeah. They hired an actress to portray the youngster on the phone when Conrad demanded uh, images of the boy's genitalia. Conrad stopped returning phone calls and instant messages, so police and the reality program decided to conduct a search warrant operation at his residence. Hmm. A gunshot was heard as the police entered the scene to make an arrest. Conrad was inside with a self-inflicted wound when they arrived, and he eventually passed away at the hospital. 23 people were taken into custody for online solicitation of minors as a consequence of the sting operation in Murphy, Texas. Due to inadequate evidence, none of the 23 instances were prosecuted. Oh, my God. That sucks. Conrad's family launched a $105 million lawsuit against Datelines to catch a Predator series. The dispute was ultimately resolved outside of court. That's fucked up. Yeah, and going back to the uh, previous one, uh, he is still in that prison. He has not gone to Aruba yet. Still sitting there. Still sitting there, rotting away. I hope he's getting. Well, he's a very young uh, guy, so I hope he's he's he'll be there for another eighteen years. I, I hope he's just getting just his salad tossed and whatever they do in prison. I hope so. That's what he looked like. Yeah, piece of shit. Fuck him. Yeah. <laughs> Post that up on our our social, and everyone can just say fuck that guy. Mm-hmm. Now let's talk about Rachel Hoffman. Okay. Okay. On February 22nd, 2007, a traffic stop in Tallahassee, Florida, resulted in Rachel Hoffman being found in possession of 25 grams of marijuana. How dare she? Wait, 25 grams? Correct. That's not a lot. No. It's not a lot. No. Then on April 17th, 2008, uh, police searched her flat and found four ecstasy tablets. Oh. And 151.7 grams of marijuana. Okay, all right. Okay, I mean, that's a little, yeah, bit, little, little bit more. That's more parties. It's escalating. Yeah, it's escalating. That's, that's yeah. party time right there. Police allegedly threatened to put her in jail unless she worked as an undercover informant for them, according to her account. She was then dispatched untrained to an undercover gathering to purchase a weapon and a significant quantity of narcotics from two alleged drug traffickers. The suspects relocated the drug purchase while she was there. When she departed uh, the, the, you know, the place where this whole thing was happening in mm-hmm. a car with the two suspects... The police officers who were keeping an eye on the sting lost sight of her. That's scary shit. The identical—excuse me—the identical gun she was intended to purchase was used to kill her by the two suspects while they were in motion. Two days later, her corpse was discovered close to Perry, Florida. One of the murder suspects was convicted of first-degree murder and given a life sentence without the possibility of parole on uh, December seventeenth of two thousand nine, which would have been Rachel Hoffman's twenty-fifth birthday. Ugh. I mean, I, 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 it's like, okay, I get it, but in the same sense, fuck, you know. Yeah. Like, uh, trial for the second murder suspect is, uh, it was set for October of 2010. So, now, 
a law called Rachel's Law was actually passed because of this by the Florida State Senate. Mm-hmm. Rachel's Law requires law enforcement agencies to A, provide special training to officers who recruit confidential informants, and B, instruct informants that uh, reduced sentences may not be provided in exchange for their work, and C, permit informants to request a lawyer if they want one. So basically, they said, you got to do this for us or you're going to go to jail. Didn't train her in any way. Mm-hmm. And she ended up getting killed. That's fucked. Yep. Super fucked. All right, now let's talk about Mr. Big. And no, not the band. Because I'm the one who wants to be with you. That's the name of the band? It's Mr. Big, yeah. I didn't realize that was the name of the band for that song. Son of a bitch, really? Yeah, Yeah, Mr. Big's great. (laughs) Anyway, the Royal Canadian Mounted Police created Mr. Big, sometimes known as, quote, the Canadian method, in the early 1990s in response to unsolved killings. It is employed in Canada and Australia, but many other nations like the United States and England view it as entrapment. <laughs> hmm. So it's the Mr. Big technique, and I've actually heard about this numerous times. Okay. The technique works something like this. An undercover police you know, unit poses as members of a gang. You know, just we're, we're in a gang. Yeah. Okay. Into which the suspect is inducted. Like, so I'm, I'm a cop. Right. Okay. And you, I don't know you, but you know, but I come up to you and I'm like, listen, kid, you seem like you got the stuff. Mm. My guys here, we're in a gang. Mm-hmm. We're badass. Oh, okay. All right. And uh, we think you you should be involved in with with us. We, we we'll take care of you. Y'all got cookies? We do have cookies. I'm in. All right, cool. All you had to say was that, man. Right. So we should have started with the cookies. Yeah. yeah walk up. Hey, I got cookies. Perfect. Okay. Sold. <laughs> Anything you need, I'm there for you, bud. That's the, the end of the discussion that's right there. Y'all got food. Just walking around eating I'm cookies there. behind you. <laughs> so anyway, it, that's just kind of how it works, okay? The suspect is invited to, pers- uh, to participate in a uh, series of criminal activities, all faked by the police, by the way. Yeah, because they're faking it. Correct. Okay. In addition, the gang members build a personal relationship with the suspect by drinking, uh, drinking together and, you know, hanging out, just doing all kinds of things. After some time, the gang boss, you know, Mr. Big, is presented to this person. Hmm. The police have a fresh uh, interest in the first crime, and the suspect is instructed to provide the gang with further information. So, in other words, if I knew you committed a crime, they they bring you in to say that you're in this gang now, and then they start asking you questions like, so so what happened? Like, what would you, you do? You know? Hmm. There is actually a really big story. And hold, let me go through this now. Just remind me about it. Okay. So, um, so yeah, that's basically how they do it. So, they clarify that Mr. Big might be able to affect the course, the course of the police investigation, but only if he confesses to the full extent of the crime. So, in other words, you're suspected of doing something. Mm-hmm. Nobody knows that you've done this, but now that you're in our gang, man, you can tell us, dude. You can tell us. Listen, this is the boss. Mm-hmm. All right, Mr. Big over here. Okay, and I've actually seen footage of this actually transpiring. It's freaking crazy. So he's also warned that if he conceals any other previous offenses, the gang could decide against working with him in the future since he would be a burden. Like, right. listen, if you don't tell us everything, man, we can't work with you. The Royal Canadian Mountain Mounted Police are... Uh, sh- uh, I'm sorry. <laughs> I don't even know why I read that part. Yeah. <laughs> so anyway, they were... Um, they. They had four officers or whatever that uh, you know were actually killed because of this whole thing too. So no shit. two of the men serving prison prison sentences for the murders made by uh, confessions for Mister Big opera, uh, operatives here. This is what I was talking about earlier. So there's two people. There was a young guy mm-hmm. and his friend, and their uh, the guy's parents got murdered, brutally murdered. Oh shit! And they were young, like in college freshmen maybe, and 
the way they got murdered, it, it just it didn't seem it seemed like there was a lot of like uh, um, there was evidence there, but it wasn't like real concrete, you know. And then all of a sudden, the Mister Big thing came in, and they uh, ended up getting popped. Wow! Because of this, because they were like, was it false confessions? Was the guy trying to look cool in front of Mister Big and his cronies? Right. Yeah. So. Uh, so in British Columbia, the technique has been used over 180 times, and in 80% of the cases, it resulted in either a confession or the elimination of the suspect from suspicion, which is good. That part's good. Yeah. However, cases of false confessions and wrongful convictions have recently come to the public's attention, and many are starting to question the controversial technique. In 2007, a documentary was actually made called Mr. Big that was very critical of the procedure, and it's fucked up. Yeah, I can imagine that. So now listen. You can't talk about undercover operations without talking about the mob, right? Mm, We've already yeah. talked a little bit about the Iceman and yeah, that guy Paul there. Wall. Right. Pa- huh? Paul Wall. Paul Wall. Yeah, he's a rap. You've never heard of Paul Wall. He's a he's a rapper. He's no. the guy with the grills. Yeah. I've actually met him a couple times. You've actually met Paul Wall? Yeah, he's played a Peabody's when I worked there. No first. shit. Yeah, yeah. They call him the Iceman. He's pretty cool. Is he? Yeah. The Iceman? I'm the Iceman, Paul Wall. That's what he says every time he gets into a, a song. Oh, boy. Yeah. So in law enforcement, working as an undercover officer carries the high risk of discovery by criminal suspects, mm. leading to violence, torture, and death. Yeah. But the rewards can be huge with wire recordings and eyewitness testimony that can result in arrests and convictions, right? Because mm. that's what they're going for. Right. A trained officer knows how to strategize, strategize, win the confidence of their targets and get them to reveal what's needed to build a case to take to trial. It requires an unusual kind of person, like we were saying earlier. Fucking dump truck size nuts. Yeah. Able to work under stress, stay focused, pull off the character he or she is playing, and be prepared to tell many lies. Damn. I couldn't do it. I couldn't do it. No? You couldn't right. be an actor? So here you go. We got uh, a list of five remarkable individuals whose undercover operations, all right, despite real dangers, all right, mm-hmm. resulted in the convictions of leaders and associates of organized crime over almost a century. Yeah, you feel me on this? Oh. You, you listening? I'm All yeah. right. This list leaves out many other famous undercover officers, okay? So we know that. Mm-hmm. Whom we'd like to recognize, possibly, you know, some other time. Perhaps uh, you know, because of the gravity of the investigations and the financial resources required, all of these undercover officers worked for the agencies of the U.S. government. Oh, shit. Yeah, so these are actual, like, U.S. what people that, you know, worked for all kinds of U.S. Yeah. Shit. Dude, you know what's actually funny? A, a small... Clowns. Little, huh? A little, a little, no. little shit. bit of that. Um, <clears throat> just about every government agency has its own SWAT team. Okay. The U.S. Post Office has a SWAT team. <laughs> Do they wear the shorts? <laughs> 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 It'd be amazing. Good, no, go, go, go. And they're still wearing those freaking stupid-ass shorts. Yeah. That's awesome. Fucking hilarious. I don't think I knew that. The, yeah. they, the U.S. Post Office has a SWAT Every team. single uh, branch of the U.S. government, like the, 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 the National Parks and Treasury or whatever the hell they call that, they have their own secret service um, tactical force or whatever you want to call them, but it, it's basically a SWAT team. Like, they go in there to try and break... like, the forest? The National Forest thing <laughs> Yeah, does? the National Forest has their own, like, legit, like, for criminal investigations within the National Parks and Reserves. Or for full-blown Yogi Bear, go, 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 go. Yogi Bear, go, go. <laughs> what can Smokey Bear do for you? <laughs> I, did, I don't think I... I, I, did, I know that. Yeah, That's every crazy. single branch of the government has that. Well, I don't think any of the U.S. Post Office guys are in this, because I don't know. We'll, 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 we'll see. We'll go through this. <laughs> I kind of want to yeah. see them, like, debunk something. <laughs> So let's talk about Mike Malone. Michael Malone, right? Maloney? It's a, t- a tough name. Nope, it's not Maloney. It's Malone. How's that tough? I can make fun of it, though. It's 
Mike Malone. Oh. So he worked undercover for the Treasury Department's intelligence unit. Okay. In the late 1920s. Oh. He infiltrated a certain uh, a gangster by the name of Al Capone's oh. Chicago outfit and helped convict the crime boss of tax evasion. Yeah, that's what he actually went to prison for, by the way, folks, yep. if you guys didn't know that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then he got syphilis in prison, and that's what killed him. <laughs> yep. Anyway. I don't know why I laughed at that. It's fucked up. <laughs> a little bit. Yeah. So Michael Malone had all the makings of an undercover agent who would successfully infiltrate Al Capone. Al Capone. <laughs> Al Capone. I know he wasn't the greatest guy, but you're really doing him a disservice. I said, I said Pacone. <laughs> Pacone. Al Pacone. Al Capone's Chicago gang for nearly two years. Two years. Wow. Malone whose parents came over from Ireland, grew up in the New Jersey, and meshed with uh, its European immigrants, eventually learning to speak Gaelic, Italian, Yiddish, and Greek. All right? It's pretty awesome. Oh, that's what it was. It's Yiddish. Yiddish. Yiddish is the 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 Yimmy, the Yimmy Gogolak. That's the name. Like, that, that's the... the only thing I know in Yiddish yeah. is Fonzanun. Fonzanun? Fonzanun. And this is for all the passengers right now. I want you to listen to me. You call someone a Fonzanun. Mm-hmm. That's a person who sits in the bathtub, farts, and tries to bite the bubbles. <laughs> I swear to God. <laughs> I don't know if it's true. Not, it's from Caddyshack, too, but he, that's what he said. He's like, hey, he's a Fonzanun. He's like, what's that? It's like, he sits in the bathtub, farts, and tries to bite the bubbles. <laughs> oh, I can't remember that. It's fucking amazing. So with his black Irish dark hair and skin, he resembled someone from Southern Europe. Oh. After finessing his way into Capone's inner circle in 1929, Malone proved invaluable to his superiors in the Treasury Department pursuing a tax evasion case against the Chicago crime boss, which is super, super, super fucked up if you think about it. So he's a crime boss that like they know has either like told people to murder people or been involved in murders and stuff, and they're like, all we can do is get him on tax evasion. If we get him on tax evasion, we at least know we can put him away. Yeah. So this guy's putting his ass on the line. With a potential murderer. With not even potential. They know he is. They just can't prove it because it's 1920s. I mean, it's yeah. not like DNA or anything's there, you know? Right. And But yet this guy's putting his ass on the line to get him for tax evasion. Yeah. It's fucking crazy. That is pretty crazy. So department, um, uh, let's see. Oh, I'm sorry. I lost my spot here. <laughs> After finessing his way again into the circle, he proved to be like the guy that they wanted to be, you know? So he... Uh, you know, despite the danger, Malone kept an iron will. He was tough. Blowing his cover would have proved fatal, but he was skillful at what he did, and it never happened. That's good. So while Malone kept up the charade, he um, delivered information that proved incriminating not only for Capone, um, but for his top enforcer, Frank Needy, a.k.a. Nito. Hey, Nito. Malone remained disguised with Capone's bootlegging band. Um, even for uh, a time after the feds filed tax charges against Capone, Needy, and Capone's brother Ralph in 1939. So even after they filed charges, mm-hmm. he still stayed there. So it didn't look like he was the one. Well, that's good because you know what I mean. Can that protect him? Right. Because yeah, Capone had so much reach. So when Capone's tr- uh, jury trial commenced and the tr- uh, Treasury Department removed Malone from his undercover job, the agent gained a bit of respect from the embarrassed gang chief himself. Capone was like, "Okay." Good job, buddy. Eh, that's all right. In the Chicago courthouse, Malone happened to enter an elevator where Capone stood with his defense lawyers. Quote, the only thing that fooled me was your looks, Capone said. Uh, Capone is said to have uh, remarked to Malone. Quote, you look like a wop. You took your chances, and I took mine. I lost. I had a really bad joke. I'm not going to say it. You kind of have to, you know. Wop? Yeah. The, the song by Cardi B. That's W-A-P. This is W-O-P. Yeah, but... So did you know, so uh, apparently, I'm, well, not apparently, I am married into a Sicilian family. Correct. And um, so WAP is like a negative connotation. I can imagine so. Okay. And it means without papers. W-O-P. WAP. 
Oh, I think I have heard about that. Yeah, yeah, without yeah. papers. So yeah. the people used to claim that they come over here without the, the proper papers to get into the United States. Yeah. And so they called them WAPs, like gotcha. the Italians or whatever. But yeah. that's probably the Irish and everyone else who hated everybody. So yeah. But then again, they were treated like it, it, horrible, whatever. Yep, long history. Right. So from 1929 to 1931, Malone fed intelligence about Capone that would uh, accumulate in the historic conviction of the nation's most notorious mob boss. His fascinating story began after his service in World War I. With law enforcement his career goal, Malone joined the Treasury Department's intelligence unit, later known as the T-Men. Early on in the 20s, Malone appreciated how donning uh, disguises brought him closer to the suspects. He posed in every man role, such as a garbage man and a shoe shiner. It's pretty awesome, dude. Yeah, I'm just gonna say that's 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 pretty. It's pretty badass. Dude's got a uh, he's got the stuff. He's got he's got cojones. <laughs> cojones. So now let's talk about Joseph Pistone. Oh, okay. Pistone. Pistone. If you say Pistone, it's not Pistone. It's not. You've never seen My Blue Heaven, have you? I've Steve never Martin. Heard of it? It's a. Uh, it's actually based off a true story about a mobster that was put into um. What's that called? Uh, the relocation. Yeah, no, never even heard of it. Yeah, it's got uh, what's his name? Her- uh, not Harold Ramis. Ah, what the hell's his name? Um, I got it from Honey I Shrunk the Kids. The little guy. It was oh, the, Ghostbusters. The little guy. Uh, something. Uh, wow. Something. Nope. 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 Damn it! Anyway, everyone right now is going. It's this, you son of a bitch. No, it's not hair. It's it's Rick Moranis. Damn it! I had it. Yes. So it's great. But anyway, he was like, and Rick Moranis is his, uh, uh, the FBI agent or whatever, and he has to keep like relocating him. Rick Moranis yeah, is the FBI yeah, agent. Yeah. Okay. It's fucking hilarious. <laughs> and so uh, Steve Martin, you know, he's total like Italian guy. He's in the mob. He's like, what are you talking about? And he keeps doing these dumb things. And they're like, we have to move him again, have to move him again. And they're sitting at a bar one day, and Rick Moranis looks over at him. He's like, listen. Or no, he says something. He was like, do you capisce? And he, he goes, whoa, whoa. This is Steve Martin. He goes, whoa, whoa. What did you just say? Did you just say capisce? It's capiche. He's like, don't ever say that word again. It hurts my ears when you say it. (laughs) I don't even know where that came from just now. So Joe Pistone is one of the FBI's most celebrated undercover agents using the name Donnie Brasco. He infiltrated the New York Mafia and helped produce 200 indictments, courtesy of the Federal Bureau of Investigation. In New York City during the uh, mid-1970s, the FBI investigated a rash of truck hijackings happening each day. The agency assigned each Joseph Joe Pistone to uh, go undercover. All right, for the agent. I don't know why I said each. The agent to go under um, the undercover for six months to find out where the mob connected these. Uh, you know, they took the stolen cargo. This here. just sounds like Fast and the Furious. It well, but this, that's where they got it from. Apparently, apparently. He adopted uh, his name that he chose was Donnie Brasco, mm-hmm. and they actually made a movie called Donnie Brasco with your boy in it, Brian O'Connor. No. No, what? That's the that's the guy I was thinking of. The name from Fast and Furious. That's Paul Walker's character is Brian O'Connor. Anyways, no. <clears throat> my boy Johnny Depp. Oh, it's Johnny Depp. Yeah. Wait, what? Really? Johnny Depp. Yeah, it's Donnie Brasco. Oh yeah, yeah. That's oh, that's okay. what this is about. Yeah, 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 you're right. So he was so effective as a wise guy that the FBI let him keep it up. No one knew how far the investigation would actually lead or what it would mean for Pistone, who started as an agent in 1969. I'm sorry, but if you work for the FBI and your title was known as the wise guy, that's pretty. I know, it's pretty baller. Like, what do you do for a living? Oh, you know, I work for the FBI. What do you do for the FBI? I'm the wise guy. (laughs) No, it's one of those, I could tell you, but I'd have to kill you. Yeah. 
His experience would eventually prompt uh, the mobsters in New York to put out a $500,000 contract for his murder. Damn. But it never happened. Okay. In the end, the evidence and trial testimony he provided in the 1980s produced 200 indictments of mob associates and more than 100 convictions. His work decimated the Bonanos, one of New York's five major crime families. Wow. That's amazing. Yeah, that's big. Pistone's journey while undercover impersonating a mobbed-up jewel thief would last an incredible five years, from 1976 to 1981, during which he penetrated the upper levels of the Bonanno organization. No FBI agent had made it inside the mob like that. The agency beforehand had to rely on just informants. Wow. That's pretty badass, That's man. pretty big, yeah. yeah. If you want to watch a cool movie, that, that is a cool movie. Yeah. So now let's talk about Jack Garcia. Okay. Jack Garcia was an FBI undercover agent of Cuban descent who convinced members of the Italian-American mafia that he was Italian. Okay. He took part in more than 100, uh, 100 undercover investigations over a 26-year career. Jeez. Yeah, that's a lot. That's retirement age. Yeah. Before he succeeded in infiltrating New York's Gambino crime family, FBI agent uh, Joaquin Jack Garcia had to go to school. That is the FBI's mob school, where he received an education on how to hit the ground running with veteran mobsters. His teacher was special agent Nat Parisi. First off, Parisi said, uh, do not carry a wallet. Wise guys carry wads of currency, often bound by the kind of rubber band grocery stores used to keep broccoli together, mm-hmm. which is true. They got a knot. It's, mm-hmm. it's a knot. They actually still a big thing nowadays. Yeah. Like, you don't walk around with a wallet. You just got a big-ass yeah, wallet. you of got cash. a knot. Yeah. And depending on the color, the rubber band dictates what that money is used for, too. Oh, I didn't know that. Mm. So, like, a lot of, like... Uh, if it's purple, what does that mean? Uh, they don't use that color. But uh, How do you know? I, I don't actually I see. How do you oh, know? Yeah. They could. You got Someone, me. You got me. Could use purple. You got me. Be like, what's this for? I, yeah. I really like cotton candy. <laughs> you got a, you got a couple wads of thousands of dollars in your pocket just because you like cotton candy. Yeah, I like cotton candy. You didn't know me. I'm the candy man. You didn't. You didn't hear how I got this money. <laughs> I'm the guy. I'm the guy. All right. If you want cotton candy, you come to me. And I do every color, too. But purple's my favorite. That's why the rubber band. You know what I mean? <laughs> so if you like that, listen. Oh, by the way, it's uh, laced with LSD. Did I tell you that? <laughs> <laughs> kind of forgot to mention that. That's why it's so expensive. Exactly. That's <laughs> that, thus the knot. So, yeah, he told him to you know do that. So also correctly pronounce an Italian food matters. As Tony Soprano might say, those long pasta shells are not uh, manicotti. They're manicotti. It's manicotti. Another valuable lesson he learned is that his mob brethren loved compliments. His favorite one, quote, What did you get those nice threads? You look like a million dollars. Man, I kind of want to join the mob. They're just so nice with each oh, other. No, he didn't mean that, folks. No? He didn't mean that. No, I didn't mean that. Government people listening right now. I just like the compliments. Yeah, the compliments. Can we just have a, hey, a, how about this? a cult where we just are very complimented? I like your shirt. Thank you. Where'd you get that? You look like a million dollars. I feel special. <laughs> in his 26-year career as an FBI agent, Garcia took part in more than 100 undercover investigations from Miami to New York, Atlantic City, and Los Angeles. Damn. Targeting mobsters, drug traffickers, and corrupt politicians and cops. He participated in the highest number of undercover cases in FBI history. In many of his capers, he impersonated a mobster using the name Jack Falcone. Hey. Mm. In honor of the Italian judge Giovanni Falcone, killed by the Sicilian Mafia in the 1990s. You know what's funny? Falcone is also known as Falcone in uh, the Batman world because that's the mob, the, the high up mob leader's name mm-hmm. is that's the Falcone. Oh, I'm sure yeah. I'm probably pronouncing everything incorrectly. Oh, 100 yeah. percent. But it's yeah. it's it's just interesting. Did you know Giovanni is actually the Italian for Jonathan? No. Yeah. Oh, so Gio George. is John. No, it's Giovanni. No, that's that's Jorge. <laughs> 
I'm just kidding. Sorry. <laughs> Bless you, by the way. <laughs> Thanks. <laughs> so, um, as a backstory, he told his, uh, you know, you know, the mob folks out there yeah. about having a Sicilian pedigree. Actually, he's a, of course, a native of Havana and grew up in the Bronx. It's Habana. Huh? It's Habana. No. No? It's Havana. <laughs> it's Havana. 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 <laughs> so he had some expertise in stealing and fencing stolen goods with jewelry as his specialty. Listen, you know what? I do a little fencing. I do a little bit of this. But you know what? I really like I like jewelry. You yeah. know what I mean? I like jewelry. Yeah. You know, bada bing, bada boom. I yeah. get your Rolex. Okay. Yeah. You're looking, what kind of watch you're looking for? Yeah. You know, Apple Watch? I don't know what the fuck that is. Get out of here, kid. <laughs> <laughs> Sometimes he had to run several undercover roles at once. He took advantage of his fluency in Spanish and Italian, being careful not to mix things up when the phone rang, which has to be hard. That has to be Because they're so very hard. similar. You know what I mean? They're extremely similar languages. Yeah. So in the early 2000s, the FBI chose Garcia for what would be the most fruitful infiltration of an organized crime family since Joe Pistone, who we just talked about in the 1970s. Well, undercover as Jack Falcone, or Falcone, sorry, with the Gambino's family chapter in Westchester County, New York, for two years, he flashed cash, Rolex washes, diamond rings, flat screen TVs, and other supposed stolen property, which is just stuff that was taken from other FBI cases. Much of the cash he held went to pay for expensive dinners. Mobsters, he said, are notoriously cheap when the check comes. And he ended up gaining 80 pounds over the two years. Yeah, I can I can imagine that. That's kind of messed up that they're cheap. I mean, like you got all this money and you're like trying to flex. Like It's kind of like a, a certain uh, former uh, Cleveland uh, um, basketball star that I heard was notoriously cheap. Oh, yeah. 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 I'm not going to say his name because you guys probably know who he yeah. is. He brought us a championship. Anyway, um, <laughs> yeah, I heard he's like super cheap. I mean, a lot I also of, heard he was a dick. Like when you go to the yeah. gym and stuff, I heard he was a dick way back in the day. Like yeah, he was a dick. Yeah, yeah, I kind of see that. So one mobster in particular who liked his money and goods and would become his almost daily companion was Gambino Capo Gregory De Palma, an old school hood who in 2003 finished serving 70 months for racketeering. De Palma right away threatened violence and extorted owners of Westchester area construction firms, strip joints, and restaurants, and other businesses. Garcia said he witnessed De Palma commit a crime almost every day. Damn. <laughs> the FBI had Garcia pose as a wise guy seeking to invest in a topless bar in the Bronx. Garcia's inquiries led him to meet De Palma in 2003. By providing stolen property for De Palma to sell for cash, Garcia convinced him that Jack Falcone was an experienced jewelry thief and fencer from Miami. When Garcia hung out with De Palma over the, uh, the next you know, two-year period here, he wore a body wire, and the FBI planted bugging devices at De Palma's hangouts. Garcia gave De Palma a cell phone that the talkative mob cap capo here used all the time, not knowing that the FBI had actually bugged it. Wow. Oh, you stupid son of a bitch. The operation yielded 5,000 hours of recorded conversations used to implicate De Palma and other Gambino men in racketeering. Wow. In 2005, De Palma planned to honor Falcone by rendering him maid within the Gambino family. In a recorded conversation, Falcone as uh, Garcia as Falcone replied to De Palma, I'm honored for that, he said in the tape later used in court. I will never let you down either. So they were actually going to make him a maid man in the Gambino family. Wow. That dude, he had to have been so smooth. Yeah, had to have been. But it wasn't to be. After Garcia witnessed a Gambino soldier beat another member with a crystal candlestick, the Oof. FBI shut down the undercover operation. Garcia and Pistone are the only law enforcement officers ever nominated to be made wow. in the mob. Yeah. Hmm. 
Garcia's efforts inside the Gambino crew paid off big time. The evidence he delivered for the FBI resulted in the arrest of 32 Gambino members and associates, including De Palma, Gambino boss Arnold Zeke Squitteri, and underboss Anthony the Genius Magali. De Palma went to, and I'm not making those names up, by the way. I swear to God. De Palma went to trial in 2006. Garcia, who retired from the FBI two months before the trial started, agreed to testify in federal court in Manhattan. The jury found De Palma guilty on 27 counts, and the judge gave the 74-year-old 74 a 12-year prison term. Wow. Yeah, you, you, 74. He might get out. You know, you might get out. I mean, especially like parole and stuff like that. Yeah, but maybe. Doesn't sound like his 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 uh, charges were too bad. I didn't hear any murder or anything like that in there. You know? Yeah. So now let's talk about Kiki Camarena. Oh, Kiki. Kiki Camarena was an undercover agent for the Drug Enforcement Administration in Mexico. Mm. After contributing information that led to major drug busts, he was tortured and murdered by drug cartel bosses in 1985. Oh, shit. Yikes. Oh, shit. Enrique Kiki Camarena, the late Drug Enforcement Administration agent assigned to investigate drug trafficking in Guadalajara, Mexico in the 1980s, is famous as one of the most heroic DEA agents ever. But he is more well-known in death than in life. Wow. His torture murder in Mexico in 1985 took place at the hands of drug cartel bosses with the complicity of high-level Mexican government officials uh, with a law enforcement and, allegedly, the CIA. Oh, shit. Ooh. Talk about double agents. At the time, the Reagan administration was secretly training and supplying Central American guerrilla fighters known as the Contras against the Leta Sandinista government in Nicaragua. You know, the Iran-Contra affair? Mm -hmm. yeah, kinda, you probably do know what oh, I actually know all about the Iran-Contra okay. affair. Yeah. Yeah. So the U.S. government allegedly granted the cartel bosses free reign to traffic drugs to the point of using CIA-recruited American pilots to fly cocaine into the United States to sell for cash so the cartel could make donations to buy more weaponry for the Contras. Yes, you heard that. That was a thing. And we, we allowed coke. And, and then everyone's like, well, <clears throat> hold on. That's what stemmed the entire cocaine boom. Mm -hmm. Okay. Mm -hmm. But yet, if you do cocaine or if you have cocaine on you, it's illegal. Mm -hmm. But yet, we, the government, they, should I say, were allowing it to come in in order to supply, to get money to supply weaponry for the Contras. It's for the better good. Jesus. The better good. <laughs> the greater good. The greater good. Camarena, born in Mexicali, Mexico in 1947, moved with his impoverished family to Calexico, California. He served as a firefighter in Calexico and with a strong desire to pull, uh, for police work, joined the Imperial County Sheriff's Department, moving up to its narcotics task force. The experience led to his career in the DEA starting in 1975. Assigned to the DEA office in the narco paradise of Guadalajara in 1980, Camarena was a convincing undercover officer with his appearance and ability to speak Spanish and barrio street language to fit in with the drug underworld. So I guess that has they have their own like slang, I'm going to assume, I right? Man, yeah. So yeah. By the way, barrio, delicious tacos. Oh yeah. Yeah, just saying. Yeah, the restaurant barrio. Yeah, correct. Yes. yes. Well, I don't know. I've never been to that barrio, so I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> they might have delicious tacos as well. I don't I know. I mean, the best tamales I've ever had was out of some dude's trunk when I was Condados is still the best tacos around here. Just saying. Yeah. That's, that's the tacos we got you the other. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. I mean. Yeah, they're good. They're yeah, good. Good, good. Hey, Condados, sponsor us. <laughs> we'll, we love tacos. That's right. We'll love talking about We like you. tacos. So his target was the powerful Guadalajara drug cartel, which later evolved into to the Sin uh, Sinaloa cartel. Ooh. Oh. Th those are bad dudes. Oh, yeah? Those the guys that wear the cockroach shoes? Yeah. The cockroach shoes? I don't know. It's the long snakeskin boots with the really, 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 really long pointy toe. 
<sighs> the cockroach shoes. Cause La cucaracha. Use, they're used for stepping on cockroaches in the corners of the walls, you know? You see that guy? Yeah. He's a cockroach. Oh. <laughs> Sorry, a little Scarface for you. Anyway, in the early 1980s, in what he called Operation Padrino, Camarino arranged for U.S. agents to seize international bank accounts held by wealthy cartel drug lords. He developed evidence of major marijuana plantations in the Mexican state of uh, Zacatecas. Mm-hmm. Okay. What the shit was what that? What the fuck was that? <laughs> what? Yeah, right over there. That was weird. That was really weird. Yeah. Based on informants and overflights in a plane flown by his DEA pilot, Alfredo Zavala Avalar. In November of 1984, from his background work, Mexican federal police and the DEA raided enormous pot-growing operations on a ranch in Zacatecas. <laughs> the Zacatecas! <laughs> that employed thousands of field hands. The task force confiscated 20 tons of marijuana, wow. burned the crop, of course. and made 177 arrests. They got high as a giraffe's asshole. Yeah. They were like, listen, you know we have to burn this. Really? Can I get the guys? <laughs> yeah, yeah, go ahead. Yeah, everyone's allowed. Really? All of them? Yeah, bring everyone over. It's fine. Okay. We get the we're doing super- this because we're supposed to. We're supervising the burn. <laughs> yeah. As it's burning. <laughs> no, it's good. <laughs> it's burning very, very evenly. <laughs> yeah, fuck these guys. Take them to jail. Yeah, take them. Yeah. Oh, my God. I'm so high. <laughs> so the bus cost cartel figure Rafael Caro Quintero about $50 million. Carl Contero believed his operation had the protection of the Mexican Army and the CIA since he owned a farm used to train the U.S.-backed Contras. Okay? He thought he was in their pocket. Mm-hmm. He vowed revenge against Camarena. Meanwhile, a DEA force um, uh, DEA force organized by Camarena seized a large cache of cocaine shipped by cartel boss Miguel Felix Gallardo's operation in New Mexico and Texas. Gallardo also believed he had CIA and Mexican official protection, which I love that even if they did, mm-hmm. that this guy... It's like, I don't give a fuck. You're breaking the law. Mm-hmm. I don't care if you've got freaking immunity or whatever the fuck it's called. I'm, I'm taking you down. I'm like MC Hammer. You can't yeah. touch me. <laughs> to the very sexy girl. Sorry. That's, <laughs> that's the age difference right there. Yeah. <laughs> so during the fall of 1984, Quintero held meetings with top cartel traffickers Galerdo, er, ah, Galerdo Ernesto Donito Francesco Carrillo <laughs> and Ruben Zuno Arce. Arce? I was going to say Ar- Arce. Arce. Arce sounds cool. Okay. Also present, thanks to rampant corruption uh, bought by the Guadalajara cartel, were Mexico's Minister of Domestic Affairs and DFA Chief Manuel Bartlett Diaz, plus Mexico's Defense Minister, the head of Mexico's Interpol office, and the governor of the state of Jalisco. Everybody's there. Damn. The agenda was to kidnap Camarena. They all want to get rid of Camarena. Yeah. He's that rogue, in their eyes, he's a rogue cop that's fucking their shit up. Yeah, yeah. The agenda was to knip Camarena. Knip. Are you having a conniption? <laughs> kidnap. <laughs> Fuck. To kidnap Camarena and get him to reveal his informants and other information. Zuno Arce gave the order. Francesca only intended to scare and release him, but Quintero wanted to kill the DEA agent. Mm. On February 7th, 1985, Quintero and Gallardo directed their henchmen to kidnap Camarena off a street in Guadalajara. As the agent walked from the U.S. consulate to meet his wife for lunch, they forced him at gunpoint into a car and drove him to a residence used for cartel rendezvous. Mm. They bound and blindfolded him, turned on a tape recorder, and questioned him, during which he was severely beaten and tortured. The lead interrogator was the crooked head of the secret police in Guadalajara, Sergio Espino Verdon the dickhead. 
The cartel men wanted to know what Camarena knew about them, their dealings with Mexican officials, and the CIA's involvement in drug trafficking. The gangsters also brought in and beat up Zavala, Camarino's pilot. Mm. Both men died about two days later, angering Francesco, who told Quintero to not kill Camarena. So Camarino's wife reported him missing, and Washington launched uh, what would be the largest manhunt in the history of DEA. The cartel had the two men's bodies buried, then dug up and relocated to a farm in another state where Mexican police found them in early March. During his funeral a week later, Camarino's family interest, uh, or interred his ashes into Calexico. Remember, that's where he first came to. His slaying triggered an international incident. U.S. officials ordered all cars from Mexico at the border searched, effectively closing it. The investigation revealed the CIA, uh, the CIA connection, leading to bitter clashes between CIA, CIA. Damn it! Why can't I do CIA? <laughs> CIA and DEA agents. A federal court in Los Angeles charged 22 defendants in the murders of Camarena and Zavala. Under pressure, Mexican authorities acted, uh, acted, arrested 13 men. Okay, mm. so they got 13. Mexican courts can, uh, convicted Francesco Quintero and Espino and sentenced each to 40 years. Wow! Fuck yourself. Although Quintero won early release on a technicality in 2013. Mm. U.S. officials are still seeking Quintero to face federal charges. Damn. Mexican police uh, arrested Gallardo in 1989. He received 40 years. A court in Los Angeles found Zuno Arce guilty in the murders in 1990, sentenced him to two life terms in prison where he died in 2012. Fuck yourself. Wow. In Camarena's honor, uh, honor, Honor, damn it. In 1985, the National Family Partnership started the National Red Ribbon Campaign, a volunteer anti-drug use and education effort that urges youths to recite a pledge to refrain from drugs and celebrates Red uh, Red Ribbon Week. Wow, that's a hard one to say. <laughs> say Red Ribbon. <laughs> red Ribbon Week? Damn it, say it again. Red Ribbon Week. Fuck. <laughs> On drug awareness each October. So, and that's that sucks. Yeah, that, that sucks. But he sounded like a badass, man. Oh, yeah. It sounded like he just really was just... Like, didn't give a shit, you know? Like, he was there to do his job. All right, so we have Jay Dobbins. Jay Dobbins went undercover with the Hells Angels outlaw motorcycle gang for 20 months in Arizona on behalf of the Bureau of Alcohol, Tobacco, and Firearms, and Explosives. Wait, it's AFT... Wait, ATFE? Well, that's a subdivision. No. His work led to 16 arrests. For Jay Dobbins, fitting in with the infamous biker gang, the Hells Angels, for almost two years meant adhering to his undercover ego, Jay Bird Davis, Hmm. to the point of obsession. To maintain his cover, he had to to, uh, divert his mind away from his wife and kids, and it all would be worth it. At least, that's what he thought at the time. Dobbins had hit on his best clandestine uh, ruse yet while in Arizona in 2001. After 15 years of service as an undercover special agent with the U.S. Bureau of just ATF. Mm-hmm. While working undercover cases in the late 1980s for the ATF, he'd been injured twice from a gunshot wound to the back from a suspect in Tucson, and when gun runners hit him, gun runners hit him with a car during an attempted getaway in Chicago. Wow. Yeah. So he got fucked up. He took part in investigations of the 1995 Oklahoma City bombing and the 9/11 terrorist attacks. Wow. Other undercover roles of his um, ended in the arrests of a Mexican drug boss and mem- members of the Aryan Brotherhood gang. Altogether, he served in more than 500 undercover operations disguised as a hitman and mob debt collector. Dude. He infiltrated organized crime groups and gangs engaged in drug and armed smuggling. This dude was a badass. That's crazy. In 2001, to gather intelligence as Davis for the ATF in northern Arizona, Dobbins worked in the Bullhead City area, posing as a gun seller and an enforcer for a non-existent collections agency. It's amazing. 
but it, uh, his cooperation was interrupted in 2002 with the now famous riot and shootout among members of the Angels and competing biker gang, the Mongols, at the Harris Casino in nearby Laughlin, Nevada during the annual River Run Motorcycle Rally. Mm-hmm. Two Angels and one Mongol died and dozens of people were injured. And if you actually want to see video footage of that, you can find it online. Yep. I've seen it numerous times. The ATF brass soon redirected him to penetrate the dangerous Hell's Angels Club. Yikes. Dobbins certainly had the physical part down with his beard and six-foot, one-inch frame he used as an excellent conference football player for the University of Arizona. Later, an Angels member would apply tattoos covering his upper arms. So he's, he's starting to fit the role. Yeah, it makes sense. Dobbins teams with an, uh, teamed with another ATF agent, two other undercover officers, and a pair of paid informants. The idea was to create a fake biker gang with the aid of one of the informants who once served as a motorcycle gang based in Tijuana, Mexico. Okay, we're going to make our own up. Mm-hmm. We're going to have our own biker gang. We're going to talk to the Hells Angels and see if maybe we can become prospects, possibly get involved, you know. The gangster informant and Dobbins would run the gang called the Solo Angelis. An- Angelis. Angelis. An- Angelis. Right? Angelis. Angelis. Solo Angels. A- Angelis. Angelis. Whatever. Oh. Promoted as Pro Hell's Angels crew in request to join the Angels as a nomad chapter. Mm. The ATF named the setup Operation Black Biscuit. <laughs> who the fuck came up with that idea? Like Black bi- Hockey Puck. But who came up with that? They're sitting around a table and someone's like, all right, we got to come up with a name for this operation. Bill, what do you got? Operation uh, B- B- Big Sticky Fart. Uh, who the hell burnt my biscuit? <laughs> oh, that's it. That's it. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, big big sticky fart. Really, we got our black biscuit works. Yeah, we'll just we'll just let's go with that. <laughs> As a convincer, Dobbins and his fellow agent feigned an execution of a Mongol member, uh, tying up an agent, placing cow's brains and bloody Mongol clothing on him, and taking a photo. Based on the picture, the angels took the bait and let him hang out and ride with them. They trusted him so much they offered him to make him a member of the Angels Skull Valley chapter. He was the first law enforcement officer to infiltrate the angels. His undercover penetration of the Angels lasted more than 20 months, one of the longest ever for the ATF. So he was actually a part of the Hells Angels. That's crazy. His work ended with 16 arrests from the Angels gang, but the criminal case, amid problems between the ATF and Justice Department lawyers, fell through in federal court, but fucking of course it did. Mm -hmm. Federal prosecutors blamed the ATF, saying the agency did not reveal evidence from informants. In 2006, the feds dropped racketeering enterprise charges, the most serious against all but four of 42 angels charged in the Laughlin riot. Dobbins' battle, uh, Dobbins, his battle with his own employer, the ATF, soon began. He filed suit in uh, federal court uh, against the agency, alleging it did not protect him while he was on duty. He won a $373,000 settlement in 2007. That's awesome. Wow. The next year, Dobbins' wife and two kids barely escaped after someone firebombed the family home in Tucson. Oh, shit. The ATF investigated Dobbins himself as a suspect in the ar- arson. What the, Get the fuck out of here. Investigators cleared him, obviously, in 2014, uh, the year after uh, the year he retired. After 27 years with the ATF, he filed another suit for $17.2 million, saying the ATF failed to safeguard his family and amid death threats. I mean, I can see that. Yeah. A judge rewarded him with $173,000. <laughs> Kind of fucking falling short on that one. Yeah, a little bit. During an appeal, the judge voided the monetary judgment but recommended dis- discipline for ATF personnel and barred seven uh, seven Justice Department attorneys from the case. He ordered a special master to investigate government actions in the case and possible misconduct, uh, misconduct by the feds in the arson investigation. But the judge died of cancer. Mm. 
The special master in a report said that the first case was fair enough and required no further probe into the uh, federal government. A new judge, and he said, okay, I agree. Mm. So, yeah. So, Dobbins has actually authored two books, one uh, on his undercover experiences, another on his, uh, you know, his bullshit with with the ATF. And these days, he delivers lectures on his uh, life to audiences at universities and law enforcement associations nationwide. Aw. Because he's kind of a fucking badass. Yeah, a little bit. All right, so listen. I know we know this is a long one. Yeah, it's a good one. We're though. running, we're running long today, but we got to, you know, we have our quick hitters. Of course. So let's just do these quick hitters all real right. fast. All right. So first of all, Donald Duck decoy. Yes. What? Police in Fort Lee, New Jersey, used a Donald Duck costume as a decoy to catch drivers who failed to yield to pedestrians. Drivers who didn't stop for the cartoon, uh, the cartoon duck, should I say, were ticketed. One woman, Karen Haig, fought for her $230 ticket. That's a high-ass ticket. That is a lot. Quote, they, they told me that I was getting a ticket for not stopping for a duck. <laughs> she told Eyewitness News. But it scared me. I'm a woman. This huge duck scared me. <laughs> 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 then there's Coco the Clown. Old clips from the show Cops show a strange undercover police sting and uh, proves the adage that clowns are usually scary or just creepy. One cop, dressed as Coco the Clown, an outfit that kind of resembles John Wayne Gacy, you know, mm. that fucking guy, yeah. to catch women working as sex workers. Spoiler, he pretty much sprays all of them with silly string, and the whole thing is very sad to watch. Sounds so bad. <laughs> okay, now there's Amish women. Yeah. At least one cop from Paluska, uh, Pulaska Township Police Department in Pennsylvania dressed up as an Amish woman in an attempt to catch a sexual predator. <laughs> Sergeant Chad Adams of the Pulaska Township Police Department wandered the streets for two months in 2014 after police were tipped off that a predator was masturbating in front of children, according to the Associated Press. Mm. He posted on the department's Facebook page, quote, Hey friends, sometimes being a police officer means do- going undercover and doing what you have to do to catch the bad guy. Now that our investigation is complete, I'll share with you this photo. And it was a photo of him dressed as an Amish woman. I saw the picture. It's pretty funny. It's funny. He goes on, back in January, we had an individual preying on Amish children walking home from school. The male individual was pulling up to the children and getting out of his car and masturbating in front of them. What the fuck? What's wrong? Although we did not apprehend the individual, we believe he was caught in another county. I wanted to share with you that we will use all means available to try and protect our children. That includes dressing up as an Amish woman to attempt to apprehend a pervert. Thanks goes out to the Nashonok, uh, yeah, Nashonok Police and New Wilmington Police in, uh, in assistance with the investigation. Sincerely, Sergeant Chad Adams. And, and not even joking, you can find the picture online. It's so funny. Sadly, the sting didn't work, but police believe, yeah, he moved to someplace else. Mm. Then there was the DVD prize sting. Police in Phoenix, Arizona set up a sting to catch people with outstanding warrants, mostly DUIs, in 2002. The people were told they won a DVD player. People then, <laughs> they thought they were showing up to pick up the prize. Instead, they walked right out into arrest. Mm. <laughs> it's pretty amazing. That is pretty crazy. There's the panhandling trick. In 2015, undercover cops in California posed as panhandlers to ticket distracted drivers. They stood on the side of the road, posed as panhandlers, and holding signs that identified them as police officers. <laughs> <laughs> The pieces of cardboard they were holding also stated that they were looking for seatbelt and cell phone violations. For those drivers who weren't paying attention, they didn't read that and they ended up getting ticketed for it. That's fucking hilarious. Like, how obvious is it? It sits there like they're holding something that says that. That is ridiculous. I love love that one. I'm sorry. That one's great. All right. And last but not least, horse sex. Oh. Police in Arizona responded to an online ad. Posted by suspect Michael Crawford in 2015, he was soliciting a willing horse owner who would let him have sex with his horse. 
Investigators in the Animal Crimes in, in, Investigations Unit chatted with Crawford via email and the phone, posing as willing host horse owners, according to USA Today. The exchanges graphically detailed exactly what Crawford allegedly wanted to do with the horse. Mm. The sheriff overseeing it all, the controversial Joe Arpaio, who has announced his run for the U.S. Senate, or had actually run for U.S. Senate in 2018, according to the New York Times, he's known for severe correctional tactics and his hardline stance on immigration. That is absolutely fucked up. And now, boys and girls, it's your favorite part of the show, the movie review. Which top ten movies will make the cut today? Okay, so today on The Movies, this week on The Movies, alright, this is my movie voice. Welcome to Movie Phone. <laughs> you guys, uh, you remember Never movie heard phone? of that. You ever heard of Movie Phone? No, what is that? The Movie Phone, you could actually call a number and it would tell you what movies were playing around you. And the guy's voice was very much like this. Welcome to Movie Phone, playing today at 7.15. It's... <laughs> I don't know whatever movie. Donnie Brasco starring Johnny Depp. Press one to buy tickets. Yeah, that's, that's kind of cool. Movie phone, yeah. You don't remember? I, now, now you got Fandango. I am so old. I swear to God. Do you remember the Fandango commercial? Oh, yeah. With the little fucking like lunch bags, brown paper bags? I don't remember that at all. That's like every freaking Fandango commercial was just a bunch of these like super low budget just hand puppets made out of freaking lunch bags. The little brown paper bags that you take for lunch. It's pretty funny, though. And they would just there and talk like, we're going to go see a movie. The whole time. It was so stupid. I mean, whatevs. <laughs> so today we're talking about 10 great movies about undercover agents Ooh. ranked according to Rotten Tomatoes. Oh, are we? And this is coming from ScreenRant.com. I actually yes. enjoy ScreenRant. Make sure you guys get over there and tell them the uh, the Midnight Train sent you. Yeah. Not that they know. They'll be like, who the fuck is that? Yeah, they're going to be like, what? <laughs> so number 10 on our list. Oh, boy. It's Logan's thing here. Oh, yeah? Fast and the Furious. Oh, yeah. It's number 10, Fast and the Furious. Hey, man, no one's ever. How about this? Do me a favor. Yeah? Give us a synopsis. What is the Fast and the Furious? Fast and the Furious is an undercover operation where one, Paul Walker, disguised as a Brian O'Connor, decides to go into a family where he is going to uh, try to bust them for a potential operation of stolen goods where they are a street race team. Ends up, you know, loving them, marrying them, having kids with them, dying for them. Anyways, I'm going to cry. I got family. (laughs) Nothing stronger out there than family. Number nine, the original Point Motherfucking Break. That's the one with Keanu? It's Keanu and Patrick Swayze, I've never seen that movie. Oh, it's so good. The only reason I even know about that movie is because of Hot Fuzz. Dude, it's so good. It's amazing. It's seriously such a great movie. Yeah. I, I never, I haven't seen the remake of it, but it's it's great. They remade Point Break. Yeah, of course they remake everything. I mean, yeah, but like, who's in the new one? I don't know. Who gives oh. a shit? Yeah, it's, true. Can't <laughs> it's not Patrick Keanu Swayze. and it's not Patrick Swayze. True that. True that. And if you guys haven't seen this, Patrick Swayze's the bad guy. Keanu kind of like is the cop that breaks into you know his undercover role to get into the, like their little gang because they're bank robbers. So much, and he shoots in the yeah. sky and goes, goes ah nah. Have you not ever gone after someone and tried to shoot them and go ah? <laughs> <laughs> so bad. no, I've never chased someone and sat there and put my gun in the air and go ah. You ever shot two guns whilst jumping? You ever notice that like Hot Fuzz or Shaun of the Dead pretty much shows up in every episode we talk about? Yeah, because Ooh, they're fucking amazing movies. They're just prevalent as shit. God, yeah. I love those movies so much. So good. All right, number eight is Rush. Ooh, 
I don't know this one. A harrowing story of addiction. Rush follows two undercover narcotics officers who spiral down the world of drug addiction hmm. as the characters try to justify their habit as a necessary evil in order to uh, simply sell their lie and stay alive. Lines are crossed um, quickly as the two hit the point of no return. Yeah, I don't, I don't know that one. I don't know that one either. I, I don't know this movie. Aha! Number seven. Hmm? 21 Jump Street. Ah, uh, okay. The movie. Yeah. Pretty amazing. Yeah. Dude, I actually like the second one, too. I thought it was just dope as shit that the guys from the 21 Jump Street, like the, the TV show, mm -hmm. ended up making a uh, cameo yeah, in Yeah, Johnny it. Depp was in it for yeah, a second. Yeah, like, yeah. It, it's such a great movie. Such a good movie. You guys so know this one. Stupid. It's got freaking, what's what's freaking Channing Tatum? Yeah. Channing Tatum. Is, well, I'm sorry, what's his name? Channing Tatum. <laughs> Channing Tatum and Jonah Hill. It's amazing. Yeah. It's, it's so funny. It I mean, it's, it's worth the watch if you just want to. Like, look at stupidity. Think of popping each other's ass. Oh, that's all I remember from that whole movie. That, yeah, I get mad. So what? Suck a dick. <laughs> I say that line so fucking much, especially with guys at work. My name Hef. That's from the second one, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. My name Hef. My name Hef. Number six is Donnie Brasco, as uh, the aforementioned we talked about, starring Johnny Depp and the one and only Al Pacino. We talked about what Donnie Brasco, who he was, the real guy. You know what I mean? The guy was a badass. And uh, this is the movie about that whole thing. So, yeah. yeah. Number five. Eastern Promises. Perhaps the grittiest undercover st or story to hit the big screens, Eastern Promises stars Vigo Mortensen as an undercover agent in the Russian Mafia. Mm. I think I've seen this. I've heard of it. I don't know if I've seen it, though. I think I think this is the one where he's got like the tattoos all over himself. Probably. Although the movie features plenty of violence, namely a brutal scene involving linoleum knives, it really feels more like a psychological drama as the audience is constantly presented with the soul-crushing reality of the harm caused by organized crime, specifically when it comes to sex trafficking. The film is brutal and, at times, difficult to watch. But mm. Morton's performance makes it a, uh, hard for viewers to look away. It's a good. I, I think I think that's the movie. Eastern it? Promises. Yeah, I think I've seen. I, I, at least I've heard of it. I don't know if I've seen parts of it though. Number four, love this movie. Yeah, what is it? It's got my boy in it. Oh yeah, just saying, it's got my boy. Yeah, The Departed. Yeah, Leonardo DiCaprio. Yeah, yeah. Jack Nicholson. Oh yeah, and and you know who else is in it? Anne Hathaway. No. Oh what? I don't know. No, it's got Matt Damon <laughs> in it. <laughs> yeah. Matt Damon. You guys have probably seen this one. It's so good. One of the most impressive movie casts ever assembled. Martin Scorsese's undercover crime thriller is a titan of the crime genre. Starring Matt Damon, Leonardo DiCaprio, and Jack Nicholson. The acting performances in The Departed are the thing to behold. And it, they are so good. Have you seen this one? Right? I haven't seen The Departed. Oh, my God. I'm going to take a week off of work, and so are you. And all we're going to do is just watch every movie ever. Cool. All right. All right. Whiskey will be involved. Oh, my God. That'd be so much Sweet. I know. That'd be amazing. <laughs> it would be pretty good. <laughs> the film follows Matt Damon as he rises through the ranks of the Boston PD while working undercover for an organized crime fi family headed by Jack Nicholson. Meanwhile, DiCaprio's character is rising through the ranks in the same crime family while working undercover for the Boston PD. Hmm. With tons of twists and turns and tension that will have viewers sweating, The Departed is an absolute delight for fans of the crime genre. It's amazing. It's a, such a good movie. And the end... Holy shit. Yeah. Yeah. No, I'm not going to say anything. I'm just going to say holy shit. Okay. Number three, got that American Hustle. Oh, yeah, the American Hustle. Another movie I haven't seen, but I heard it was good. You haven't seen anything. You don't have to tell us. I mean, I... Yeah. So this one, of course, is this got uh, Amy Adams, Christian Bale, Bradley Cooper, and Jennifer Lawrence. Oh. All right. It's, it's a cool movie. I, I thought it was all right. Okay, yeah. okay, okay. So basically this one, is, it's actually a true story of two con artists who forced to go, um, were forced to go under um, undercover, excuse me, to take down corrupt politicians. Mm. Yeah. So. Oh, wait. 
No, that's not. Never mind. What? There's a movie that Jennifer Lawrence did recently, but that I was thinking of something else. Mm. That was the one where she like had that rapey scene. Oh, oof. Yeah, it was like Mama or something like that. Oh yeah, I heard yeah. about that. I haven't seen it. Yeah, yeah, I heard it. I haven't watched it, but yeah. Number two, Reservoir Dogs. God, don't even say it. <laughs> Mother. <laughs> I was gonna say this whiskey is really good. Reservoir Dogs is amazing. With a career as acclaimed as his, it's incredible to think that Reservoir Dogs is considered by many to be Quentin Tarantino's best film. It's like one of his first movies uh, with a shockingly limited budget. Reservoir Dogs is often considered the greatest independent film ever made. Following a group of thieves planning a jewelry store heist, when the heist goes wrong, the remaining thieves scramble to figure out who set them up and if there is a snitch in the group. And if you've seen it... Fuck you, this movie's been out forever. If you haven't seen it, yeah, there's a snitch in the group, and it's pretty amazing. And there's a dance scene where the guy is trying to, like, there's a cop that infiltrates the group. Yeah. And there's, a like, a scene where the dude's dancing around, listening to music, and torturing the guy. Oh, shit. Dude, it's amazing. I mean, anything Quentin Tarantino touches oh, would be good. Oh, it's so good. And number one, and I haven't seen this. I have wanted to see this, but I haven't seen it. It's um, Black uh, Black Landsman. It's Black KK Landsman. Black Landsman. I don't know. I don't know. I heard it was really good, though. Based on the incredible true story of an African-American police officer that infiltrated the Ku Klux Klan, Black Klansman is the highest-rated movie on the list for good reason. Produced by Spike Lee. Love Spike Lee. The movie stars John David Washington and Adam Driver. Mm-hmm. You know who that is? Oh, yeah. Who's that? It's Kylo Ren. It's Kylo Ren. As the two cops <laughs> that infiltrate the Klan. Rich with social commentary and a fascinating plot, the movie will have viewers laughing hysterically one moment and holding their breath the next. Black Klansman just might be the best movie in Spike Lee's impressive career. That's crazy because Spike Lee's done some cool stuff, so I I have to watch that. Is that the movie where Adam Driver's sitting at a table and he's like, I just had sex and I'm about to eat nachos! All like fucking emphatic and Maybe. Shit? I swear that's what that... I don't know. Called. You seem really emphatic on that one. I like... I'm kind of scared. You like sex and nachos? Oh, fuck you. <laughs> I like sex and nachos for days. Yeah. Who's that, man? Should be our next song. Uh, uh, te- sex and nachos. Sex and tacos. Ooh, even better. That's what I'm saying. Condados, get on it. Oh, fuck yeah. I'll do sex and tacos. We should make a fucking like jingy. Jingy? A jingy? <laughs> Are you getting jingy with it? Yeah. Na, 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 na. <laughs> Willie style? Yeah. So listen, make sure to stop over to our official website, the midnighttrainpodcast.com. Now, yeah, that was a, it's a longer episode. We get it, but God, there's so many cool stories and we could have probably gone on for another two episodes with this. At least. We, we compiled it all. So get your asses over to the website, buy some merchandise, sign up to be a Patreon member, get a Don't Be a DeSalvo shirt, or so many other different things. Like the soon-to-be uh, Send Them to the Ice Books. Send them, send them to the Ice Box. And it's going to be a picture of Paul Wall with his Ooh. grill. <laughs> That'd be pretty cool. <laughs> also, do me a favor, when you're over there, check out Dr. Squatch Soap, all right? Dr. Squatch is changing the way that men approach hygiene by providing all natural, high-quality, healthy products. Mm. By the way, I do have another code coming for you guys coming soon. Ooh. It's for uh, going uh, the back-to-school thing. They have a code coming for that one, too. Oh, for sure. We can get 20% off and whatnot. So, but right now, you can get 20% off just by using DSC Squatch 20. Just go to MidnightTrainPodcast.com, click on Sponsors, and then click on the banner and get yourself some soap because it's awesome. Yes. I seriously love it. It's so good. Mm. So good. I smell it. It smells amazing. It's I, I thank you. Thank, thank you. Well, we have it laying all <laughs> over the table down here. I smell a couple of boxes just yeah, laying what here next ha- to us. What do we have? Two boxes down here? Uh, yeah, you get the uh, the pack. Yeah, on our table right Star now, I actually have the Star Wars complete uh, box they have, and then what's the other one? The Batman. The Batman one. So yeah, I mean, not even joking. Like I love this shit. So if you like what you heard from us, 
God, I hope you did. Consider being a producer of the show and by heading over to the midnighttrainpodcast.com, clicking on the Patreon button, or just go over to the uh, patreon.com forward slash accidental dads. Hmm. For as little as five bucks a month, you can get all kinds of cool stuff like a custom shirt, custom post, custom stickers, and all kinds of cool shit. And, uh, you know, if you're into the train, if you're, guys are, if you're down to ride the train indefinitely, help us out. Ooh, sure. And you know why? Well, why? Is because obviously we love music. Do we? We do. We actually have another podcast called Icons Not Laws, if you haven't heard it yet. And uh, we love music, and you know, that's kind of what we do. So yeah. since we love music, and we love doing this, and we love to help, we want future generations of musicians to have accessibility and music education. So we've decided to give to a great, uh, great cause, the Save the Music Foundation. So both of our shows are donating to one amazing cause. Yes. Their mission is to help students, schools, and communities reach their full potential through the power of making music. Yes. As one of the leading music foundations in the U.S., they uh, they support their partner communities in three ways by denoting music, uh, denoting, donating musical instruments and musical technology, providing support services for teachers, and advocating for uh, music education. We are going to donate 20% of our merchandise sales and our Patreon donations from both shows. Okay, so if you buy a shirt from... Uh, if you sign up for our Patreon, you get both the bonuses, right. no matter what. Yep. And you can get merch from whatever. Mm-hmm. And every time you guys buy something, or if you are a Patreon member, you are going to be donating 20% to the, uh, the Save the Music Foundation. Okay, so man. it's going to be amazing. So support the show, get so all the awesome. bonuses, help a great cause. And, you know, for more information, or if you want to donate personally, just go to savethemusic.org. And speaking of Patreon, we've decided yeah. that we've come up with a cool idea. And that if you are at the ten dollar and up level, oh yeah, as a Patreon member, Ooh. we're gonna start sending you guys out like custom perks. Ooh! And Logan and I came up with a really cool one today. <laughs> we did, <laughs> and I'm pretty excited about it. Oh yeah, it's gonna be badass, and it's gonna be totally worth it. So if you're not at the ten dollar level, listen, we completely appreciate anything anyone ever does. But if you are at the ten dollar level or up, yeah, you guys are gonna be getting some. Uh, some cool, some something cool, cool. and there's going to be more and more of them as they we we come up with the ideas for it because I really want to show our appreciation by doing cool stuff for people that support us. You know what I mean? Fuck yeah! So not only do you get the bonuses, mm-hmm. not only do you get the stuff on Patreon, but no we're going to personally be sending out stuff. Ooh, I'm going to hand deliver it Ooh, all the way I, out no, to no, Europe. I, no, I don't think no? do, I don't think you're doing that. Oh, see, you now you just went too far. Oh, but, suck it, suck it back a little bit. But I want to suck it back. No, you you can go. That's fine. The show's not paying for it. <laughs> Damn, <laughs> you, you can go. I mean, I thought you that was can a tax write off. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, no, <laughs> we don't have that many Patreon <laughs> yet. Yet, yet. We're getting there. I will come see you guys in the future. Yes, one day. Right. We, we I would love to. Do we that. are almost halfway there. Almost halfway there. <laughs> so listen, don't forget to follow us on Twitter, on Instagram, on TikTok, YouTube, and if you listen on Spotify, make sure to rate us in uh, because they do that now. And over on Apple, please rate us there too. The, it, honestly, the reviews are super important. So the more you guys can give us these badass reviews, the more we kind of move up the charts because their algorithms are all weird and all they care about is that shit. So if you can do that, that'd be great. If not, listen, just keep listening. Yeah. That's all we care about. Tell your friends. Yeah. Please do. Tell your friends. So, of course, we cannot thank you enough. And I uh, just kind of want to say a big uh, thank you to... This is always super loud, so I'm going to turn it down. Ah, there it is. That was better. Still hurts. Still hurts the ears. A little bit. It's like so, like, just ear-piercing. <laughs> a very special thank you to our fearless executive producers and our Patreon poopers. 
you beautiful motherfuckers, to Tomislav Sobota, Amanda Denz, Chris Lucas, Zachary Danielson, Joseph Aramo, Margaret Dempsey, Kelly Ryan, Nathan Diekman, Hank Sanchez, Stacey Laconan, Nicholas Cooper, Caitlin McKinney, Trent Scott, Spencer Dunlap, Jacob Cook, Maggie Brothers, Albert Lopez, Miles Campbell, Brian Guntzman, Colleen Cox, Pumpkin Escobar, Mac Doherty. By the way, welcome back, Mac. Turner Cox, Sydney Sayer, Gina Madison, Janice Sherrell, Chad Flint, Chris McLeod, Justin Kowalczyk, Rob Webb from the Fun Box Podcast. Please check out the Fun Box. Christina Skelton and Jessica Bartolome from the Sisters Skelton Podcast. Not to be confused with our new podcast, that's the Sisters Skeleton Podcast. It's coming, ladies. I'm telling you. If you think I'm fucking around, <laughs> I'm just saying. To Maria Gibbs, to Chainsaw. What the fuck? To Jigsaw, Rick Resler, Courtney Bachelor, Katie Brabinick, and of course, one of my best buddies ever. Oh, show. Do, do you want to give it to him? To, I kind of want to see you do it. To Bill Birch? Yeah. Oh, good for you. <laughs> that was good. All right, thank you. So do us a favor, spread the word, and if you want your name to be mentioned on the show and for us to be forever grateful to just be in your debt just become a patreon producer we'll say your name at the end of the show and we will hook up with you online where we have our own little not community. actually hook up with you but you know we'll, I mean, we'll we talk to you we don't know what the future may hold oh <laughs> Gee, all right <laughs> we gonna party i mean who knows you know hey, what i'm saying hey you know what I'm saying? future holds a lot of promises upside Maybe. down pineapples for everybody is all i'm saying mm, <laughs> all right stay safe out there passengers thank you so much for listening and we know it was a longer one but it was super cool let us know what you think about it in the comments and anything you can do hit us up email us at uh, you know the midnight train podcast at gmail.com whatever you want to do just let us know what you thought all right and logan go ahead Ah, choo choo motherfucker i'll go home and get your fucking shine box